Welcome to Hardly Initiated. It is your host, Tyshawn Jackson, here with another episode of my co-host, Ryan Ketchins. I can tell you warmed up already, man. Oh, man. You ready for this one? I'm warmed up, guys, because this is not just the first episode, mm -hmm. but the second episode we have shot today. We have something so special coming up for you guys next Friday. So we are excited to announce that. Just stay tuned. Just stay tuned. Maybe we'll tell you at the end. Maybe. But it's not about that right now. It's about the two beautiful ladies we have here on the platform Facts. today. Because we got some Atlanta royalty on the platform here today. It is amazing to have two amazing, black, beautiful women doctors on the platform here today. Excited to introduce them. And let's start here to my left. We are in here with Dr. Aisha Barron. Welcome to Hardly Initiated. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks for having us. Yes, yes. And we're going to go into some of the credentials a little bit later. Um, so, guys, just stay patient. You're going to get to know these, uh, these wonderful ladies a little bit more in depth soon. But we also have here, right here by her side, about to educate us and give us some good game here today, Dr. Jada Ruffin. Welcome to Hardly Initiated. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Good. Good. Absolutely. Hey, we excited for y'all too because uh, health is very important because we talk a lot about relationships. We talk a lot about marriage, but there's so much that goes into it. And health is a big part of that. You know, mental health, physical health, everything in between. So we wanted to bring some professionals, some experts to drop yeah. some game for us today. Man, and let me tell you, I had a conversation yesterday with both of these doctors before the show, and I know it's going to be absolutely incredible so we're about to bring you guys something that is going to be relevant and probably life-changing here to a lot of the people that are watching this show. So y'all better stay tuned. In fact, I'm going to let Ryan tell the people we got coming next so we can get into it. Yeah, so guys, remember, we are off for a little bit, you know, just to enjoy the family for the holiday. So no episode this Sunday, Christmas Eve, no episode on Christmas the following Monday, and no episode on New Year's Eve. So we're going to be spending some real quality time with our families. We encourage you to spend time with your families. And we're going to drop something very special because you might need something special before you get into that dinner table because there'll be some drama sometimes. Maybe, yeah, you, know, you know y'all families, y'all. <laughs> so, so, so next Friday, next Friday at 12 p.m., we are dropping a very uh, special episode, highly anticipated. Hopefully, Tyshawn lets me uh, tell you guys exactly who it is because, we all, I mean, we did it today. So As a matter of fact, you're right. How about this? At the very end, we will tell you guys who we did an episode with and the day that it is going to be released. So stay tuned because, again, this is literally the number one most requested brother on the Harley Initiated platform we shot with today. So stay tuned. But let's tap in here yes. today. Before we get into the conversation, let's just give a um, – obviously, I said your doctors, but that was just so generalized, right? Because – yeah, nothing general about what y'all do at all. So let's go into some of the details. Dr. Aisha Barron, can you please give me some details about just your practice in particular and what exactly it is that you do in your field? Um, I am a board certified, board certified. Yeah. Very important. Um, plastic and reconstructive surgeon. I own my own practice here in the metro Atlanta area. It's called Breast Body Beauty Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery. Um, and I provide cosmetic and reconstructive services to the community and abroad. Um, you know, I specialize in everything from mommy makeovers, um, breast cancer reconstruction, you know, all the general kind of cosmetic things that are trending right now, Brazilian butt lifts, mm. mommy makeovers, uh, 
breast lifts, breast augmentations, tummy tucks, Botox fillers. Um, we have another physician in my practice, Dr. Famalusi, and she is a specialist in facial rejuvenation. So we cover all bases when it comes to uh, just beautifying yourself, improving your self-esteem, um, getting yourself back to wherever you want to be or getting you to a new level or new point or even restoring what, you know, something like ter terrible like cancer has taken away. So um, I, I, I love the services that we provide to our patients. And it's, it's just really life changing. Thank you so much. First of all, that all of those services sound Life changing. I love how they name it too, right? Like you got the mommy makeover, yeah, the facial rejuvenation. <laughs> like it really do sound like you about right. to walk sound out like a need, whole different person. That. You need right? that. <laughs> well, not just a whole different person, just a better version of yourself. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I get it. I get it. <laughs> so, look, Doctor Ruffin, talk to us real quick. Tell, tell us about what you do. So uh, I have my own practice as well on the north side of Atlanta. I do see people in multiple states virtually. I'm licensed in multiple states. So I like to say I'm based in Atlanta, but I serve nationwide. I uh, help high achieving and results driven women to not only weigh less, but to further their personal success, whether it's through my medical practice, through my coaching programs, my online content. Uh, my best-selling book, so that they not only look great, but feel better and live at their best. A lot of what we do as a, and I as a board certified, double board certified um, medical specialist in the area of non-surgical weight loss, um, I help people to achieve a level of health and well-being that is directly correlated to weight. Now, that could be, again, physical a lot of people that I see have uh, reasons why they now have to really think more seriously about losing weight. And some of it is emotional, psychological, may even be relational. So mm. I cover the gamut and I do it in a very holistic and comprehensive way so that the whole person is um, acknowledged and addressed throughout the process. Man, that just sounds so good. It does. Yes, yeah. it does. Ladies, y'all need to share this right now. Ladies and my fellas, because health is very important. It is. And you cover two different aspects of it. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it's something that is always on the tip of our minds, whether it's weight or things that I could do potentially to improve myself uh, with some surgery. And, and I had, let me tell you again, such a great conversation with both of you. Um, I know when I talked to you, Dr. Ruffin, I was just... When our conversation just had me thinking about just so many people in my life in particular that not only are affected by, you know, the the same issues that you're discussing, but also have potentially even lost their lives, you know, by not even dealing with some of the issues that you help people with on a on, on a consistent basis. And I want you to I want let's start there. Okay. Because you were talking to me about some of the women in particular that end up in your office, okay? And describe this woman to me so we can get an understanding of who she is and what she's dealing with a bit. Absolutely. Um, that's wonderful. And I think we do typically, we probably attract people similar to who you're seeing here. Um, I'm typically seeing a probably middle-aged woman, somewhere between 35 and 55, 60, if y'all give me that, that's middle age, <laughs> <laughs> who is a, a pretty much a professional woman. She's high achieving. She's busy. She's, you know, 
handling a lot, juggling a lot of plates. She's got family life. She's got work life. She's running a side business. She's caregiving to someone else. She's the head of some other outside organization. I typically will describe the women that I see um, who are over overworked, overweight, overwhelmed, mm. and over it. Wow. That's a hell of a combination. Wow. Right. Right. That sounds like a lot of women. It's a lot of women that I see. Mm. And so let me ask you this in particular, because obviously we have a tremendous, our audience is mostly not even just women, but black women. Mm -hmm. Is there a consistency? Is this just, are you seeing women across all demographics or mostly are you working alongside black women with these issues? I will say that my core patient base is definitely African-American women, women of color. Um, I do see all people. I don't turn anybody away. If you mm -hmm. align and we are, we, I can help you and you want to be helped, I definitely don't turn anyone away. But my core is going to be African-American um, women. And so I see that concentrated effect. But this, what I see in my office probably reflects what the statistics that we know of nationwide are saying. Mm. If we look at African-American women in some communities, that could be 80% of women who are overweight and or obese. So if we add those other components of the work component and the overwhelm with all of the, the pieces, yeah, I would say this is who I serve. This is who I'm next to uh, very often this is who i run into in the store so this is this is this is a thing wow it's a thing and when the women come to you what is the issue that they're trying to solve is it like is there a deeper root issue that they're actually trying to solve and the, the weight is just a symptom of that that's a great question i don't know that the women that come to me know that there's a deeper issue but i have a saying in my practices it's never just about the physical weight. It's never just about weight. Uh, and in my book, I address that as well. This is not a book just about weight loss the way that we traditionally see it. There are so many layers of why people begin to eventually show a physical expression of excess weight baggage. And it, it really is multifactorial. So, whether they acknowledge it, a lot of the people that I see are the I've tried everything people. Um, mm. they, they cut out this. Uh, they don't eat carbs. They exercise regularly. They're still not getting results and um, not really aware of emotional eating, undiagnosed eating disorders. I think we were talking that a lot of times in health class, well, I dated myself. Maybe y'all didn't have VCRs, but anyway. <laughs> I had a VCR. We ain't that young now. We knew the VCR. No, no, okay. it, it was right before we was flooding them all to get the new DVD. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That we thought that um, eating disorders only came in restrictive eating disorders. In other words, anorexia and bulimia. So that's what that was on the test. But for African-American women, what I see often are consumpting consumptive eating disorders. In other words, eating more, eating excessively, um, binge eating, night eating syndromes, and several other uh, pathological or dysfunctional eating patterns that have not even been 
looked at or assessed or diagnosed and let alone treated. Let's talk wow. about some of those. First of all, I think I think I got that night eating syndrome myself. <laughs> I ain't gonna lie. I never heard of some of those. Too. Right. Very curious. Yeah. So because and kind of going. So I think night eating syndrome just simply just you somebody that when nighttime comes every single night, you've created a habit that you need to pretty much make you something to eat before you go to sleep. Well, yeah. And and some of it is habitual. Definitely behavior is a good bit of everything that we're talking about. Uh, some of it is chemical, biochemical. Some of it is when certain hormones or neurotransmitters begin to activate more or that it's quiet enough for you to be able to access these things that you've been kind of thinking about. It's a lot of things that lead to that. But typically with night eating syndrome, you're right. Most calories are consumed after dark. And mm. um, that pattern goes on into the evening. And some people actually get up out of their sleep yeah. to eat. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. They get up to eat, eat, and maybe go back to bed and maybe stay up and eat a little while longer. They got to have that full stomach. They do. Well, it, and it may not necessarily even be out of hunger per se. So it may be that they go beyond a full stomach. That's kind of going into another mm. very common disorder that I see. So it may be about satisfying hunger, but it may actually be about satisfying a feeling that is associated with hunger. Wow. Yeah. And what type of effects would these patterns, habits, you know, and actions have on someone's life? Oh, well, this can run the gamut. Um, if we're talking, a lot of times people think when we have these conversations about weight, that, that this is a target or a conversation about how someone looks. And this then there's this culture of judgment and shaming that comes into right. into play. And that's not really the angle that I come from. That's not the angle that I think most serious clinicians are coming from. It really is a conversation about what's going to help you live your best, highest quality and longest life. And um, so health issues are very, very common. Some of the ones that are common that I think people are kind of poo-pooing, so it's worth talking about, are diagnoses of pre-hypertension or pre-diabetes. In other words, there are certain lab tests that we order, and in certain ranges, that test may be fully diagnostically uh, consistent with that disease, i.e. diabetes, or it may be on the way to that. So we call it pre, we used to call it borderline diabetes. Mm. Mm. Um, and so we have now called it pre-diabetes because pre is preceding what's coming next. Right. And so I see a lot of women and, and here's an, another thing about that is we used to see these problems later in life. So the fifth, sixth, seventh decade of life, I got people with pre-diabetes in their twenties, <sighs> teens, mm -hmm. mm. 30s. So if we talk about diagnostically, I just did a video, I don't know if it's released yet, about an article that shows that people who are diagnosed with diabetes in their 30s, in their third decade, are set up and are at risk to reduce their lifespan by as much as 15 years. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. And those that are diagnosed in their 50s by six years. So if you think about, that's a lot of life lost mm -hmm. for something that is modifiable 
is treatable. And in many cases, the people that I work with, it can be put into remission. So I think we have to have a little bit more serious understanding of prediabetes and prehypertension. We're seeing younger and younger age groups that are going on dialysis. Some of my um, nephrology friends, they're putting people in their 30s on dialysis. I actually have a very close friend, she may be watching tonight, whose brother um, passed away in his 40s from renal failure. Like this is stuff that is, this is not an older person's issue. And very, very often it is directly correlating, directly correlating with weight, which is how I got into this. Do you see the men typically having the same issue or is this more predominantly an issue in our ladies? We, men are, women definitely, men are pulling up the ranks. And the thing that's interesting about men is that, especially we're coming out of this baggy clothes culture and now we kind of got skinny clothes again. Right, right, right. right, <laughs> I think right. I'm sec- secretly happy about that, is that men can just get away with it, I think, a little bit more, both uh, health-wise, because we know women are more likely to go to a medical professional than men. So they can. So by the time men go, they're sick or they have some symptom that has brought them there. So women, we're used to going to the doctor, whether yeah. it's, you know, for pregnancies, taking your kids to the doctor, all of those things. So men will will typically kind of opt out of those situations. But I am seeing it with men. And by the time I'm seeing men that are ready to address it, it's either affected their sex life or their relationship or their health to the extent that it's about to affect their sex life. So it's okay. almost kind of like a cycle. So when the, when the little man start, stops working, that's when, they, that's when they show up at the doctor's yeah, yeah, office. Because yeah, yeah. we had, and that happens, man, we had Kendall Ficklin come up here and he was very open and honest with us. And he was like, yo, listen, because I'm, he said, I'm feeling good now. I'm having sex now. But because of how I was living, how I was eating and the type of shape I wasn't in, I was not getting erections. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was he's a middle-aged brother. Mm-hmm. You know, as well, and also a businessman that probably was, you know, what what, what what's them O's? Overwhelmed, <laughs> overworked, overworked. Right. you know, <laughs> over it. And, and, and he was over. Finally, got him a trainer, and he said, you know, that now, you know, he's able to more naturally operate as he was prior. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's very interesting to hear the issues, and when you talk about the intimacy life with men, that's interesting. Because we're so motivated by that. So mm-hmm. I can see how if it's about to mess with our sex or our money, that will be that that'll be enough to get us there. But women, I don't know, like, does that affect uh women's intimate lives? Their weight affect their intimate lives as well? Absolutely. Uh I see it all the time. It affects it and the whole gamut from from single women who are reluctant to date, who are um you know, posting neck up photos. Mm, wow. On, I do see a lot of that. Yeah, wow. neck up, neck up with the angles. And thinking about, well, at some point, if I have to meet this person in person, and this is how I have shown up up until this point, what's at risk? What's at stake? Can Am I going to be showing up and, and disappointed? Will I disappoint them? So we can we can go from single all the way to those who are married that I've had clients who have 
have not been undressed completely, in other words, naked, with the light on, in front of their spouse for 10 years Mm -hmm. because they are not happy with the way that their body looks. So we know that women, intimacy starts well before you get to the bedroom. Well before. Well before. Wow. And... (laughs) Having a self-image that is positive and a self-esteem that is robust and a self-worth that is, you know, in the zillions, having that is really important for showing up in a very positive and comfortable and giving way intimately. So I see the whole thing. I can imagine how tormenting that is. I remember when I was a little kid, and I was I was fat for for a little bit. Me too. And uh, I just remember never wanting to take my shirt off and to, to jump in the pool, you know. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. But the craziest thing is, once I and once I got a little older, I was still overweight. But then I just stopped. I don't know. Then I just kind of stopped caring. I'm like, it's a lot of you know people fat, you know. But so, I, but I know that doesn't happen to women, you know, because it's men that I know that they're confident shirt off. They could be fat as is all get out. But it doesn't impact. I don't think that impacts men's and women's self-esteem the same. So do you do you see that? Do you see that when men are overweight and they come to you, is it a is it a big deal or is it just like I'm just really sick and I just need to get healthy? Or is it the the weight is impacting their self-esteem and their levels of confidence the same that it might impact a woman? What I love about the work that I do and when men come to me, I, I believe that I foster an environment that allows them to be vulnerable and to be open and and I encourage that because I can help you if I understand where you are. And very often there are things that they are experiencing, there are challenges, even at work. You talk about men and money, like professionally people are often held back or not at their best or optimally functioning and getting into the bag because Mm -hmm. of their weight. So in cases like I have one guy that told me He had been working on a job for about three years and he came to me, started losing weight, started feeling good, looking good. And he said, you know, Dr. Jada, people are speaking to me in the break room. This was pre-COVID. People are speaking to me. And I'm like, I've been I've been seeing these people for a couple of Mm -hmm. years now. And the only thing that's different is my weight. Mm, Insane. It's the only thing that's different. And so. Even when you think about promotion, and and we could spend a half a day talking about weight bias and weight stigma and the impact on um, uh, financially for people who live with excess weight, it's it's significant and it does include the men. So whether it's financial, physical, again, we're going to say not feeling. And what I found found too with men is that men want to look good too. They may not necessarily kicking in the door saying, I want to look like him. They may not have right. their, their inspo on their phone ready, like probably <laughs> right. your people do. Some do, some do. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but they do. They want to look good. They want to feel attractive. They want to feel like they uh, can step to someone comfort- mm. confidently. So the people that I see, uh, the men, they're they're ready, whether it's their health is is challenging or they just need to step it up emotionally. So guys, just know to come, we are going to have an initiation hotline. So we're going to allow you to ask some questions for the doctors here today. 
if you want to stay anonymous you can we'll let you a lot uh you can go ahead no mic no camera ask your questions anonymously or come up and just ask questions face to face however but i need y'all to go ahead and hit that like button so we can continue to spread this message to our other initiates and to other people that need to hear this message and being here so please hit that great thumbs up hit that thumbs up right up under the video so we can continue to spread this message and i actually want to tag um uh, dr baron in here because you know obviously you know confidence is a big thing we all want to feel confident we all want to like the way we look and you know we all want to you know look in the mirror and just be happy at what we see Mm -hmm. and you know i want to ask though because I think it could be some controversy on some of the ethics around plastic surgery in general. Mm -hmm. Do you think, is it right for someone to want to feel confident and use plastic surgery as the uh, avenue to go about gaining that confidence? I think it really depends on what the exact motivations of that are, you know, what those motivations are going to be um, in that realm. Um, I think, of course, I think it's right <laughs> you know, to a certain degree, um, you know, but uh, there's people who come in my office, um, their expectations aren't uh, reasonable. You know, plastic surgery is not going to land you a job like it's not going to guarantee you that it's not going to guarantee that you'll be married in a year or so or that, you know, you'll get a boyfriend or get the person that whose eye you've been you know, trying to attract. It's not going to you know, it's just not going to do certain things just because you get plastic surgery. I think, um, you know, people always have a a baseline level of confidence that they're kind of dealing with. Um, And so the majority of patients that I see, um, they're confident to a certain degree, you know, they just want that additional boost. Um, And it's not just about um, confident, because they may be confident in their workplace, you know, they may be confident at home, Um, But when they get out the shower and they're naked and standing in front of the mirror, you know, do they like what they see? Um, Is it, you know, a remnant of what was or if is it completely different? And so I like to think of it more so as, um, you know, really just what your body image is and how you how you view yourself, because there's plenty of people who, you know, don't want to look like a Kardashian, you know, like they don't want to look like an Instagram model, you know, they just want to look like how maybe they looked before kids or just an improved version of that. So I think um, I deal uh, or I like to refer to it more so as, you know, improving your body image as opposed to, okay, yeah, now you're lacking confidence. I'm going to give you confidence. Mm -hmm. I don't like that because I don't really feel like that's the case of most of the patients that, you know, and I can't give you anything besides, you know, what I can do with my hands. I can't change what's on the inside. You know, I can maybe give you a a little bit of boost by, you know, doing a little nip tuck here, you know, sucking something out, putting something in um, to kind of help uh, with that overall image. But overall, you know, confidence comes from within, regardless of what's on the outside. No, that makes a lot of sense. Have you had and that's interesting, though, because I can imagine I'm just curious to know, because you mentioned that you do have some people that might come in with some just unreasonable ideas on what they want to have or the outcomes to be from plastic surgery so is is that like something that really happens like somebody comes in might come in and say yo i want plastic surgery because i'm trying to you know literally get this man or I'm, I'm trying to get married so i want plastic surgery well they they won't say it exactly like that so you know mm. a lot of being the physician is you know 
there's mm -hmm. different specialties, but you know, each field, you kind of have to have a little bit of a psychological aspect and being able to pick up on certain cues mm. by what someone may say, you okay. know, um, and sometimes patients, they've never, they've never talked to a psychologist or psychiatrist or really anybody about how they feel on the inside about what they look like or, or, you know, what their image of themselves are. And so, you know, they get on the couch with me <laughs> and they're saying, oh, well, yeah, I want to have a breast lift and maybe some liposuction. You know, and I'm like, okay, well, why now? Well, you know, I either just got divorced or, you know, like things are on the rocks or, you know, uh, um, I've never been married, you know, and they, they might go into these, you know, things or, you know, they might have just gotten out of a relationship or just had kids and they're dealing with postpartum depression, things like that. And so mm. I have to really kind of listen and kind of sift through the cracks to kind of figure out, okay, what's the overall issue here? And will surgery help or hinder your overall process or progress, you know? So, um, lots of people come in my office and they don't get what they want <laughs> as wow. far as, you know, okay, I want this, 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 and this, okay, maybe we can do this and this, but this is not, you know, reasonable at this point. Um, or you're not at a healthy BMI, you know, like you're, you know, significantly overweight. Plastic surgery is not weight loss surgery. So I need to send you to Dr. <laughs> Dr. Ruffin, you know, to kind of get your weight under control um, so that we can be doing this safely um, because, you know, safety is the overall, you know, overarching theme when it comes to what I do. Um, yes, I make people, you know, look good, feel good, that type of thing. But I, I mean, when it comes to being safe, like I have to be able to put my head down on the pillow at night and be satisfied with what I did that day. Um, you know, and uh, the majority of patients that see me, I see a lot of, you know, um, mommy makeover patients, they have kids, I have kids, you know, so I want my patients to be able to go home to their kids, you know, and their families. And so um, I'm always going to do things with the highest standards when it comes to like ethics and morals, you know, within my field. So so I think patients appreciate that, that, you know, they know that I'm going to really give it to them straight. <laughs> you know, um, I'm not going to sugarcoat things when it comes to, you know, just, OK, you want this? Yeah. Write a check and I'll do it. That's not how it goes in my practice. Is there any psychological reason that you might deny somebody from servicing them? Good question. Absolutely. Um, body dysmorphic disorder, you know, okay. so um, body dysmorphia is a condition in which um, a patient may be overly obsessed with a certain body part mm -hmm. and really no matter no amount of surgery that you'll do to that body part will um, make them happy. You know, so you can you could see a problem with it, do the surgery and then they still complain and they say, no, you have to fix this. You have to do that. Or they'll go to another doctor and say, that doctor botched me and, you know, did whatever. You know, uh, the classic kind of example, you know, people refer to is Michael Jackson and his nose and that whole type of thing. Oh, okay. um, you know, allegedly. Got you. you, know? got you. But he wanted, to, he wanted to keep going back and yeah, fix it and fix it and fix it. Exactly. You know, and so you do see it a lot in rhinoplasty patients, people who get nose jobs. Um, but you see it other areas, you know. Um, there's people who, you know, have come in my office and they've had, you know, five different surgeries by five different plastic surgeons. That's a big red flag, mm. you know, because once I touch you, it's a tag on it type situation to where the last person who's done surgery, like you own that patient, you know? Wow. So, 
Um, you, I just never want to put myself in the position where I'm going to just have, a, uh, you know, just a significant amount of issues in dealing with, with something that I actually didn't cause, you know? So, um, you know, patients who, you know, are just career patients, they're never happy with what has happened. Um, you know, that's where you, within the consultation, you just have to, you know, really read between the lines and, um, pick up on a lot of social cues. You know, um, I, I feel like as physicians, we're just very observant, you know, at baseline. Um, you know, those skills are heightened when you're hearing to people talk about their lives and how they feel and their bodies and everything. And so you really have to piece the story together and figure out, like, can I really help this person? Um, and, you know, that's, that's a big part of the training that they don't teach you in residency. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a lot of on the job training yeah. when it comes down to it. So um, it's really just listening to people. Do you? Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, because I'm thinking about the type of people that might come to you. W would you say there's an ideal patient? An ideal patient is someone who has done some research. Okay. Um, and has attempted to educate themselves. Um, you know, generally, like you don't have to get get a medical degree, <laughs> you know, prior to coming to me, but um, you know, has at least looked into what they're about to get into. You know, gotcha. um, uh, it's always good to have someone who's going to ask me questions back, like mm. just as much as um, the patients interviewing me to be their physician or surgeon. Um, I'm kind of interviewing the patient to make sure, okay, do I want to take you on as a patient? And so I love it when patients are advocates for themselves, when they're asking, you know, the right questions. Okay, what's the recovery like? Can I work out? How much time do I need to get off work? Most of the time I cover all that in my consultation anyway. But um, it's just, it's good when people come in with their little questions and they're like, okay, you know, I've been doing some research, you know, hopefully it's, you know, they don't delve too deep because, you know, then they can, you know, kind of go off the ledge right. <laughs> down yeah, the rabbit right. hole um, with things. But someone who's informed, you know, and um, they bring somebody along with them during the consultation. And that's helpful because, you know, two heads are better than one when it comes to remembering stuff, you know, but we give them all the information, um, you know, uh, via email and, you know, that whole type of thing. So people who are informed and really just want to be active in the process. Now speaking, uh, not to cut you off, but I'm curious about that because you say somebody bringing somebody else with them. Is it possible or have you even have you saw that there might be a spouse and particularly a husband that might be the person pushing, you know, a woman to get surgery? Mm -hmm. Is that something that you might have see, saw or see commonly? I have seen it. I don't see it commonly, okay. um, at least in my practice. Um, I have seen it a couple times and, you know, I've actually put... <laughs> I've actually put those people at times out of the room and have then talked to the patient themselves. Mm. Um, it doesn't happen frequently, but to where I feel, you know, but you also sometimes have to be respectful of other cultures um, in which, you know, a lot of times even, you know, and I, I feel there's some, you know, cultural sensitivities that you have to have in play to where the husband or the man in a woman's life might be speaking up for her. Um, and that's just the way they do things. You know, so I'm respectful of that to a certain degree, but then I always still will address the patient and make sure that, you know, we're getting that verification from her or him or whoever um, to make sure that uh, that's something that they are actually wanting to do. Mm, that's interesting because I can imagine, you know, that's just the, the space of beauty 
you know, I can imagine you see a lot and I can, what is it? Maybe is it 80 to 90% of your patients are actual women? Um, yeah, probably about 80, 90%. What are guys coming in there for? Um, guys come in for all sorts of stuff. Uh, you know, I saw a pre-op today. He wants to get some lipo, get his chest liposuctioned. You wow. Know? I see um, young men who don't want to take off their shirts um, at the pool, but they, they have something called gynecomastia, which is basically man boobs. Um, we had but- somebody call in with that, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're so, right about that. You're right so, about that. But sometimes that can be hormonally influenced. Um, but then also, you know, when puberty hits, you know, the hormones are all out of whack. They can have increased breast um, growth of their breast tissue. Um, but then also, <clears throat> like, there are some, you know, medications and drugs that can cause it. Smoking too much, you know, weed can do it. Can do <laughs> what? Wait, what? what, what? <laughs> hold, on, hold on now. We gotta fl- on you got to flush the stash, right. bro. <laughs> Like excessive wow. marijuana use can cause gynecomastia in some patients. Wow. Um, and that's one of the differentials that you have to rule out when a patient comes out um, for that. So, so it's important when they ask you, like, do yeah. you smoke? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. You know, and so we got the cigarette smoke question. And then we got the other uh-huh. smoke <laughs> question, wow. you know. So um, I, I'm appreciative that most of my patients are very candid with me and very honest. Um, and I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, men come, a lot of my male patients will come for liposuction. Um, I see some for, you know, still Botox fillers, things like that on the face. Um, but the majority liposuction or weight loss surgery. So if, or not weight loss surgery, but, um, skin reduction surgery after massive weight loss. So if they've gone to, you know, someone like Dr. Ruffin, or if they've had bariatric surgery, like a gastric bypass or sleeve or something like that, um, or if they've been on some of these medical um, uh, uh, drugs for weight loss, like Ozempic and things like that, then they'll have excess skin that they mm. want removed. Um, cause that's almost a little worse than, you know, not being able to take off your shirt at the gym right? Uh, or at the pool or wherever is that, you know, they're down to, you, to this healthy weight, but they still feel that insecure. they can't they still feel insecure because there's extra skin. And it, you know, I've had some patients, it's so extreme, um, that, you know, they, they come in and they're like, okay, I have to do something about it. So extreme that they're getting rashes from the skin rubbing together, things like that. So, um, is it still very taboo? Like do, do the men come and they got, you know, a, a oversized coat on with like a, a ski mask on? You know, <laughs> no, I think, I think, you know, social media, media in general, TV, reality TV has, you know, really kind of pulled the cloak off of plastic surgery okay. in okay. which um, it's much more acceptable. Um, you know, really it became more acceptable in mainstream populations or communities, but um, then within the African-American community, it's become more popular just because I think people have celebrities, reality stars, things like that have, um, they've been more open to share their stories, yeah. you know? And so I think once people start, you know, saying like, oh, okay, I got this done, this done. It's like, oh, I was thinking about that. Mm. Okay. Who's your doctor? Okay. Here you go. You know? So I think it really, um, just the widespread education exposure has, um, made it so that, you know, most people, you know, they come in the office and it's not a thing. They'll let their friends know that they're coming. But you, I still have a subset of people who are like, nobody knows I'm having this surgery. And I'm like, okay. you got to tell one person. <laughs> like, yeah. You have to have an emergency contact because I'm calling that person mm. after you, you know, awaken from surgery. So, um, so yeah, some people like to keep it under the hush, hush, hush. But, you know, 
others are just out there with it. So guys, you guys can. That too. That's good. And keep in mind, you guys can absolutely. Let me oh, pull sorry, this a little back for you, just so head. you don't go over the mic. But <laughs> you guys can absolutely send any super chats. We're gonna read them in. We got little guys. Do you not see the caliber of doctors that we have on here tonight? Whoever super chats you guys bring on here, I'm gonna let you guys answer it. And we got the initiation hotline coming up very shortly. You can come come up anonymously, or you can come face to face. It's coming up in just a few here. Take and that Ryan super is chat. putting up a, uh, yeah. a poll. I'm gonna go I'm gonna ahead. Drop a poll. I'm gonna drop a poll. Have you ever seriously considered reconstructive surgery? It's both for men and women. Wait, because that's a difference in plastic. Wait, wait. Okay, let's talk about that because there's a difference in plastic surgery and reconstructive surgery. So could you break okay. that down for us? So really within the whole realm there it's a plastic surgery is a catch-all term but yes there are different aspects there's cosmetic and then reconstructive um cosmetic is you know you're going in for elective surgery that is not medically necessary got it um in order to improve a potential you know body part that you dislike or you know so bbl is cosmetic cosmetic got it yes, okay insurance will never pay for that and so. yeah, and reconstructive surgery is something caused by an illness, potentially an illness, an ailment, um, or the result of that. So, um, breast cancer, you know, I do, um, breast cancer reconstruction for a lot of women who've had, um, lumpectomies or mastectomies after breast cancer. Um, so that's reconstructive that's mandated, you know, if you have insurance that your insurance company has to cover reconstruction. Um, you know, if, uh, uh, breast reductions sometimes. Okay. I was thinking so about that because that's if, an ailment. Yeah. Right. Be because if patient has, um, very large breasts, it's calling, causing them back pain, shoulder pain, um, things like that. Then if they are willing to go reduce to at least a size range that's suitable per the insurance, then, um, they may or may not cover it. All insurance companies don't cover breast reductions. Mm. Some do. But you have to meet all the criteria. So, you know, people have to jump through those hoops. So I think the sense. word you're looking for is cosmetic surgery is the word you're looking yes. for, cosmetic. Yes. So I'm going to take this poll in while Ryan's going. To, I mean, I'm going to take actually this super chat while Ryan's reading that poll because we have a super chat from Sonny. Sonny says, Dr. Jada, please speak to BMI. Is it an accurate way to assess the health of a person's body or, or of different the health of different body types. I've heard conflicting opinions on the matter, and I'm curious about your perspective. Thank you. Thank you for good that question. question. That is a very good question, and I am going to share uh, my opinion, my view. So BMI, Body Mass Index, is a tool, a calculative tool that we use as medical professionals to assess and categorize a person's weight based on a height to weight measurement. There are different categories between normal weight, overweight, obese, and then there are categories to obesity class one, two, and three. So I believe that it is a fair tool to use for this reason, for any culture, ethnicity, for this reason. One is that it is non-invasive. Two is that it is cheap, easy to do. And three, that no matter what the ethnicity, body mass index gives us an idea around really specifically one thing, and that's body fat. So no matter what race one could be or ethnicity, body fat is the, is the kind of the the catch-all problem that we see. Now, there are some people that can have a higher BMI 
who have a lower body fat. Those people pretty much are easily identifiable. They have a higher level of muscle or higher amount proportionally of muscle than fat. The people who are the opposite of that, who have more fat than muscle, categorically by using this number, can also pretty much guess who that person may be. So using BMI as a screening tool for me is fair. It is very similar to using blood pressure levels as fair. There are numbers that we have for normal tensive, hypertensive, and the word for low, low blood pressure. So we can use that reasonably. There are other things that we use, for example, waist circumference. So how wide is the waist? And actually, if we pair, if we pair the BMI with waist circumference, that gives us an even better free, non-invasive, um, an easy to do tool to give us an idea of what that person's fat to muscle to weight to height ratio may be. And is this, and, and just to uh, confirm, is this typically an issue? Because I think I've heard this conversation once or twice, you know, a lot of um, like, for example, black women, because their bodies are just usually more full, they may feel like it's a disadvantage for them because they may typically be more on the overweight end of the spectrum when they look at the BMI, the body mass index. Is that why it's usually an issue? I think it could be a number of things. One is uh, there are some theories and some schools of thought that go back to who was the BMI originally used to be created in general. Like yeah. whose BMI were y'all taking to decide that this is a okay BMI? This is overweight. Right, this right, right, is, right, okay. right. So right. How, how, who are you to say that? Who who were the people? Who were the test subjects? <laughs> right. <laughs> how how thick were they? Yeah, yeah, how thick were they? Because y'all picked right. the people that weren't. So so and that's that's fair. Fair enough. Is I don't I don't see anything wrong with that argument. There are some that say that it is a tool that can um be associated even with financial gain, with um other behind the scenes things that come along with. Uh, categorizing people. So there are some fair arguments out there against it. Um, when it comes to the different body types, if we think over time, if we look over time at body types, which I've done, um, body size, maybe not necessarily shape, but body size has changed over time. We can actually pair that change, i.e., larger body sizes, we can pair that with certain um, points in history mm. with the invent uh, or the takeoff of packaged food. Popeyes. Fast food. You said it. I'm I'll keep it clean. <laughs> no, 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 no. We really need to Fast keep it real. Food. Um, I, I got you. If we look at studies to see what the U.S. consumption of salt and sugar meat and dairy are compared to the 1940s and 50s, then we can see direct correlation with size. Um, if the, And there's a, a guy out there that does some really good research around looking at size over um, 
different races over a period of time? And so yeah. what we see, the answer is yes. African-American women are tending to be at this point larger size. Um, and I, I don't use the word fat unless I'm referring to a physiologic component of the body. So I don't usually refer to a person as fat. I'm referring to fat as a physiologic component. Mm. So, but we we are seeing that people, we, we're in the thick culture. So we have to take that into account when people uh, sociologically mm -hmm. think about um, fat and body types. What, and, and so where I will interject is, I, I won't argue a lot about BMI, the way that it rubs someone personally, where I like to keep the clear correlation is that BMI helps us to determine risk factors. And risk factors, and, and there's, there's no mistaking this, comparatively speaking, any culture or ethnicity, higher weight is associated with more likely to have diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, more likely to have issues with asthma, issues with uh, gastro gastric reflux. So there are a lot of things that are directly correlated with having a higher weight. And that's where I like to keep the discussion. Yeah. In my okay. realm, you know, patients, I, I kind of have a BMI cutoff um, to where a patient is a good candidate for surgery. And so if you're above that cutoff, I'll ask the patient to lose additional weight um, before embarking on surgery, because at a higher BMI, you're more prone to blood clots, to wound infections, um, respiratory issues, cardiac issues, a spontaneous cardiac or respiratory event in surgery that's not even related to the actual surgery, but as a result of the anesthesia. You know, so these are things I tell patients when they come in. Um, you know, if they're like, if they're asking, well, why do I have to lose weight prior to surgery? Well, that's why, because I want you to wake up after surgery. You right. want to be here to enjoy your results, you know? So a lot of these things go hand in hand. I use some of those same markers. Um, you know, the insurance companies, when it comes to like a breast reduction, there's a table that they use and they actually use body surface area. Um, you know, but depending on the patient, if they're taller or shorter or whatever, then, you know, that may not be wholly accurate. Um, I look at the entire patient as well, though, you know, some patients might be, you know, a little bit of a higher BMI um, still within my range, but they're carrying all their weight, you know, down in their thighs, but they want a breast lift or a breast reduction, you know, and so looking at the entire patient and seeing how their, um, uh, how their body composition is, is something that you just have to do as a physician to kind of pinpoint, okay, can this person get a surgery or are they good for whatever program, you know, in order to get to their weight goals. And what I want to do is I want to actually get prepped up and ready for the initiation hotline. So, I'll if, drop we, that so link. if we can, We'll get the links ready so, guys, y'all can come in. Again, you can come in anonymously. Just put anonymous as your name. You don't have to put your cameras uh, on. You could just bring your mic up and we can have a conversation. You're going to be able to ask the doctor's questions or you can come face to face and ask. So we'll drop the link so y'all can come in and get ready. Um, uh, but I want to ask these questions until we go ahead and get that going. We'll let you know when it gets dropped. Actually, it's dropped right now. Um, but let's talk about this because and excuse me for my ignorance, but I know I'm seeing first of all, I'm seeing you know, BBL has obviously, the BBLs have got gained massive popularity over the last, what is it? Has it been like five, 10 years? Five, 10 years, definitely. So five, 10 years, massive popularity. And I think before I started hearing the word BBLs, 
I was hearing like the ghetto version of of the term I was hearing is called ass shots. Now, what is that actually supposed to be called? So I don't I don't speak so, incorrectly. So, I mean. I mean, it is what it is. That is what it's called. I mean, what no. are y'all calling I mean, it? No, we don't call, call that in the office. Though. But no, those were really. We actually shots, say right? black markets, buttock injections. So those are illegal. Oh, okay. I mean, are the police gonna come and arrest you? Probably not. But I mean, whoever's doing it. But um, they're off market. Like so, um, a lot of people, a lot of celebrities, were getting hydrogel buttock injections, in which um, it's a filler. That's, um, you know, that was approved overseas for um, injection into the face in very small quantities. Um, But, you know, someone decided, okay, we're going to try to just, you know, put this in in people's buttocks, you know, in order to improve their shape or, you know, their physique or contour. Um, And they're doing it in massive quantities in which it's not indicated. So you ended up people with, you know, these ridiculous infections, um, skin necrosis, basically skin death um fat death um within the area and so you have young girls like completely disfigured um from complications because no reputable surgeon is going to do that you know um and so they're going into hair salons uh strip malls back alley offices people's apartment complexes um you know the most um I guess kind of uh, egregious one is it was someone in Florida was Florida was doing it and putting fix a flat in people. No. Oh yeah, I saw that. I saw yes. that. Yeah. So she, you know I, that was a big deal. Yeah, was, I mean, yeah. and I've seen patients. In, so back in the day, though, you know, they were actually putting free silicone, not just in the buttocks, but in, into people's breasts. Um, you know, which is clearly not indicated. Um, I've seen women who have rock hard breasts, rock hard buttocks because they, you know, went to some clinic and had free silicone being injected, just all dispersed within their breast tissue. Uh, Can't get mammograms, you know, like the tissue is just utterly destroyed. Um, So, you know, so that's where I go back to my favorite patient is someone who is educated or has done some research. A lot of um, individuals who have gone about this route, unfortunately, are just trusting of whoever it is that says what they're doing is what they're doing. You know, they don't know what they're injecting, you know, and that person really has no moral compass to really say like, oh, okay, no, I can't do this or this isn't right. You know, so, um, you know, it's people are trusting of people who claim to be medical professionals. Um, But, you know, you have to do your research. You have to, you know, know that. You know, you have to ask what it is. What is this that you're really putting in my body? Wow. So I so those So yeah, so there's the those illegal buttock injections and then um the BBL or Brazilian butt lift butt lift, same thing as a fat transfer or um gluteal fat transfer is um taking fat from somewhere else on the body by liposuction and then just draining some of that fluid off of that fat or processing it and then re-injecting that fat into your buttocks. Um, But now, you know, where our societies have said that, you know, we're only supposed to inject fat within the subcutaneous or the fatty layer of the buttocks Mm -hmm. um, before we were able to inject in um, the muscle. Um, But you had a lot of unapproved, you know, or non-plastic surgeons. So still doctors, still medical doctors or surgeons, but non-plastic surgeons who hadn't been adequately trained on technique, um, you know, just injecting fat kind of everywhere with reckless abandon all in the muscle damaging veins and that fat gets sucked up into the veins and causes a fat embolus 
um, and the patient can die. It could be fatal. Um, you've heard of issues where the patient either dies that way or they could be severely disfigured. They can be paralyzed. They could, you know, have, um, you know, it can get into the bloodstream, cause, you know, uh, uh, blood issues in their lower extremities. I've heard of people having to have their, their legs amputated, things like that, you know? So, um, you know, it, it was the wild, wild West when it right. came to fat injections at one point, yeah. um, the societies have cracked down, you know? Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm glad for that, you know? Um, but, uh, it's important that people go to a reputable plastic surgeon, a board certified plastic surgeon, because, you know, if we don't practice safely, then our board certification gets taken away. Do they need to be in the U.S.? Because I know a lot of ladies are going to, you know, out the country to really get the the whole <laughs> making that discount, getting the whole package. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, there are some great plastic surgeons. Um, you know, the Brazilian butt lift was popularized where Brazil, okay. you know, like there's some great like, you know, people who speak at all of our society meetings, you know, from different countries and subsets, you just have to go to the right person, you know? Um, yes, some people, you know, they're not going to be the ones in Brazil or Colombia or wherever that have the bargain basement pricing, you Got know? You. So it's, it's just all about knowing what it is. You know, like you have people who still go to certain countries, Dominican Republic, wherever, wherever the doctor has a rap sheet, of you know multiple deaths and you know these all these complications they still go into the, they're still going to these same doctors incredible and, that, and that's you like know? public information that they can find and they'll yeah, still go they're all in these chat groups they're in facebook groups yeah. you, know, oh, they, right. they got, you know they got you know they got all these facebook groups and everything like that they'll share stories which doctor you going to or whatever you know that whole type of thing and so you know <clears throat> i'm I, I say that's a you know Every, every physician or surgeon or whatever can have complications, okay? Just because you're a board-certified plastic surgeon does not, you know, absolve you from having potential complications. It's being able to do something about that complication um, when it comes to fixing it. And so that's what's important about having a plastic and reconstructive background. You know, there's nothing that... I, you know, that could potentially happen to any of one of my patients or even walk through my door that I should not be able to fix, you know, so I, I've had extensive training. I trained at Baylor College of Medicine, the Texas Medical Center, which is mm. the largest medical center in the world. Um, you know, and I, I saw everything, you know, wow. so there's nothing that's walked through my doors that I haven't been able to deal with. Um, so that's the, the, the reconstructive aspect is the the cornerstone. It's the foundation of plastic surgery. You know, so that's why it's just so important to go to a surgeon who's been um, trained in that way. No, that makes sense. Let me tell you, that's an incredible game. I actually got a lot more questions on that, but what I want to do too. because it's time to get to this initiation hotline. We got somebody in here, but I want to let y'all know. I want y'all to come inside here. That link has been dropped. Let's drop the link again for everybody. I'm gonna keep dropping. The I link. want y'all to come in here and talk to we got some look. We brought some doctors here for the family, man. Come in here. Y'all probably ain't, you ain't even got to have insurance for this. It's free questions, <laughs> right, right? right? Don't be scared either. Y'all ain't got to be scared to come in. We uh, know y'all want some BBL. Before we start, <laughs> before we start, I want you I want to go ahead and um actually close that poll out, Ron, before we pop off with that one. So can we can we close the poll out that you had dropped? Yeah, so I'm going to close the poll out. We got over 200 votes on this thing. Have you ever seriously considered cosmetic surgery? And uh, I put four options on here, okay? Four options. I got yes, and I move forward. That was 12%. Okay, so people, okay. people moving forward. Yes, but I'm apprehensive. That's actually the highest group at 35%. Mm. No, I don't think it's natural. 
at 26%. And no, I just never thought about it. So it looks like people really between the yes, I'm apprehensive or no, I don't think it's natural. Because I'm, I'd imagine y'all, y'all get people like that that's like, mm-hmm. they probably really want it, but they're like, I don't think it's natural. Well, I mean, is getting your lashes done natural? Interesting. Interesting is analogy. pressing on your one. hair natural or getting a relaxer or, you know, getting your nails done natural? No, but these are enhancements that people find value, like, mm. you know, in which they it makes them feel good about themselves. Um, they'll go every two weeks to get a full set, mm. <laughs> you know, or whether it's lashes, nails, hair, whatever, you know. So, no, it's not. Um, of course, it's not it's not inherently natural. But um, one of my taglines is that I like to produce natural but noticeable results, you know. So I don't like the excessive, exaggerated um, aesthetic when it comes to plastic surgery. People come in, if someone comes in, they want a gluteal fat transfer, Brazilian butt lift, you are not going to look like some of these celebrities, oh you know, I'm not going to name drop, you know, but you're not going to, you're just not going to look like that coming out of my office. And if you want that aesthetic, that's fine. You can go to somebody, someone else for that. No, You know, so, I mean, even when it comes to, you know, excessively large breast implants, you know, or something like that, like, I just don't do it because I, I can see the complications coming down the line. You know, when you when you go big, you know, like to a certain extent, you have to do things within reason. So, wow. And let me tell you, first of all, we're we going to come back to that. But I got, I got somebody here. I don't know if they want to be anonymous, but the camera's not on. No, so please I'm, turn your camera on. That's I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to go ahead. <laughs> And I, I'll keep it anonymous if the camera's not on, but I'm bringing you to the stage here. What's up? We got V here. V, what's up with you, V? What's up? What's up? Oh, so V, you have... sound far. Right, Lano, we got the mic up on that one? Let's go. V, can we can, turn can, the volume can you speak up a again? little bit, V? Wait, wait, wait. Can y'all there hear you, me? There we go. No, we sure you can. are good, V. How are Wait, you, you keeping your camera off for us today? I just came out of the gym. I look too crazy. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I look. want to see that workout yeah. right. Listen, listen. See that? This is what we look. This is what we're dealing with here now. But, V, go ahead. Give us your location as well as your age, okay? I'm from North Jersey, and I'm 23. Awesome. Nice. Okay, good man. Nice young initiate. As a matter of fact, V, uh, glad to hear from you. What's your question? So, well, I'm not interested in plastic surgery, but my friend is. And, like, I want to... Um, I don't know how to phrase this. Like, how does how does she search for the right surgeon? Because she wants to go like out of the country because it's like more affordable. But I've heard too many stories about like deaths and like just crazy stories about what can happen. Like, how can she search for the right person for her for what she wants to do? Way to look out for the homies first yeah, off. That's good. a fact. Yes, that's, that's good. a good friend, friend. Uh-huh. Um, so I told I, her I was like, I'll be there to hold your hand, but I'm not doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, so I appreciate your question. I think um, what she can start doing is, you know, either researching plastic surgeons in her area, um, you know, go on different pages um, as far as websites and things like that. You can uh, go on in their Instagram pages and she should really look and see if the surgeon has the aesthetic that she wants. Um, you know, like if they're creating the look that she's going for, for whatever body part. Um, but What's important first is that whenever she finds that surgeon to look at their training, um, you know, it should be widespread on the website, um, call and ask the office staff. And if she gets to a, a, the consultation, then what she needs to do is, you know, ask questions, come with the questions, come informed, um, know what types of surgeries or what body parts she wants to enhance or reduce. 
um, and really make sure that she develops a connection with that surgeon because um, it's really important. You know, I hear a lot of times people will um, patients will come to me. They've had surgery somewhere else and they are, you know, basically like, yeah, I went to that surgeon and I'm like, OK, well, why aren't you going back? Oh, I just felt like they didn't listen to me. Um, they didn't hear my concerns. I didn't want implants this big. And they ended up putting in these really large implants or something like that. So I think it's important that your surgeon hears your um, uh, your concerns and you guys de develop a plan together as opposed to someone just saying like, oh, OK, you want a breast augmentation? You're going to get this size. Um, so it, it's really about them being responsive to your concerns or your friend's concerns. So, um, I appreciate you and commend you for, you know, Definitely. being a good bestie. That's, um, that's good feedback yeah. right there too. Making sure you're on the same page. Absolutely. Super important. Super yeah. important. Mess around, be walking around looking like you're from the bug's life. Hey, so V, thank you so much for coming up here. Okay. Thank you. Shout out to you, V. You, no you doubt too. we got a couple other people that we're gonna bring up on here. That was and, a great question. Man, see, the problem is when you let people be anonymous, not nobody wanna put their camera That's the on. Thing. Yeah, yeah, come on, yeah, come on. Y'all gotta put these cameras on, family. Faces. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna go ahead and bring us up. We got I, I want to make sure I'm pronouncing this name right. Is it we got Ranasia? Is it Ranasia? <laughs> Hi. What's up with you? Hey. I, I, am, I, am, I, am I butchering your name right now? Uh it's supposed to have an X in gear over the E. Can you hear me? Oh, so you you misspelled a name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't really put the E on there correctly. Why, look, why, why you got the it's camera It's Renacia. Renacia. Turn your camera on. Yes. Let, let us see you, Renacia. Oh, my goodness. No, I just, like, I'm wet. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Wait, what? Oh, I mean, like, the family clean. No, that's not the right thing to say. Um. I'm wow, this is amazing. Thank you for having me on. Um, and wow, big shout outs to these two women. I just got onto the show, so I didn't think I was going to get picked. But, um, oh, wait, well, just real quick, Ryan, say before you get into your question, give us your age, your location, and then give us your question, okay? Right. I am 35. Hmm. I am from Houston, Texas. Shout out to Houston. Yeah. And you said, what was the last thing? I'm sorry. Your question. What's your question? Yes. I did have a question. When people get, when women get um, tummy tucks, why does the tummy, like the little belly button, look so weird? And why come it, how come it can't look so natural? You know, or like keep a pouch, just a little pouch or something. You know, I don't understand why. I don't know because most of mine okay. <laughs> end up looking okay. pretty natural. I mean, it's, I spend time on the belly button. Um, normally, that's the last one of the last portions of the operation. A lot of surgeons are tired by that point. Um, mm -hmm. But I do like to um, really spend a lot of time to make sure that it looks good because that's literally a telltale sign. Like that's yeah. the scarlet letter that you have had a tummy tuck if the belly button looks off. Um, wow. And so I spend time to make sure that, you know, it can invert some. Um, some people don't really, mm -hmm. sometimes it's about the shape in which you cut the hole that it comes back out of. Um, you know, some people just cut a big old circle and, you know, it just stays there and looks looks literally like a button on mm -hmm. there. Um, you know, so uh, I really do my best to make it look as natural as possible, um, you know, 
I would say the majority of my patients have a very um, natural appearing um, uh is the medical term. Or her, but, God um, bless you. In which they are how- comfortable still wearing like a bikini or showing their abdomen. That's mm. so see, you got the good doctor. But I want to <laughs> ask because it seems it seems so random. But how? What even made you ask that question? Like, have you just been looking at a a, a lot of after? Um, I guess after results from surgeries or is it something that you're considering? What, what's the situation? Yeah, I was considering it. I am a mother of three and my last pregnancy, I was like really big, really, really huge. And I, and I developed, um, was it diabetes, but it like goes away after pregnancy. Cause I was just that big. Mm. And so I have a lot of skin. I lost a lot of weight. Um, I'm not down to like my 150 yet. I'm like at 175. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was thinking about it. I'm working out to get my stomach tighter, but I was like, maybe I could do a little tummy tuck, just a little. I like my pouch, but I don't like how big it is. So, but the whole t- the whole belly button thing freaks me out. You know, that's, that's very interesting because a lot of people said, yes, they consider it, but they were apprehensive. Mm-hmm. And it sounded like this thing, because I, I mean, I would imagine if you want to get a procedure, the, mm-hmm. the way it looks after is, is important. Oh, it's a big deal. And something that's yeah. a small, it would, some, maybe I would consider it a small detail, but it's the belly button. Something like that can stop somebody from moving well, forward. Well, you know, the, the belly button doesn't have any function, at, you know, as right. an adult or, you know, once you once you're born, there's no function for it, really. But mm-hmm. um, the you know, but it's an aesthetic marker. It is. You know, so plenty of women, you're, you're not showing your abdomen because it's you either have excess skin, stretch marks, you know, a lot of fullness. You invest in this tummy tuck and you can't show your abdomen, mm. you know, like that's a big deal. Like, yeah. you know, so I would say, um, uh, Renesia, go to, you know, different websites. Um, you know, I have I have a plethora of people in um, Houston who are amazing surgeons that I trained with. Um, or you can always come down and see me here in Atlanta. Um, but uh, yep. they are, uh, you know, just look at uh, look at websites, look at their Instagram pages and see like, OK, if someone's belly button is looking, you know, not so nice all the time, then, you know, that's what they produce. But mm-hmm. if someone always has a really natural appearing um, belly button, then that might be, you know, a surgeon that you need to have a consultation with once you're ready. Are you tagging? Oh. Are you tagging people on your website that are here in Houston? Because I would like to get recommendations from you. Go ahead and DM me. Send her that DM. There you go. Yeah. Look, send- check out the description. <laughs> Her profile is in the description. You yes. really need to come to Atlanta. For That's real. what you do. Because I'm telling you, this is a big surgery. Yeah. It's worth working with the best. And you know, if Harley initiated brought them on, yeah, we only bring it on the best of the best here on the show. Yes, so it is what it is. Yeah. So check hey, it Dr. out. Dr. Aisha, do that work and send us a picture of your belly button so we can put it. Making sure you're looking good. Hey, you're looking good. <laughs> thank you for coming up, okay? Thank you so much. God bless you all. Yes, yes. Yeah. All right, man, that was good. That uh, was we, good, yeah. We're we going to keep it rolling here. Shout out to somebody. We got somebody here that's bold enough to give us this camera. Such a detail. Welcome last one. to the stage, Mahogany. We got Mahogany here on the show. What's up, girl? Hello. Can you hear me? We sure can. We have, I to can the hear show. you. And most look, I'm most glad that I can see you tonight. Way to be bold and brilliant here on the platform. Wait, you at work? <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> look, look, listen, look, listen, just don't look, don't lose your job and DM us. All right. <laughs> well, look, we, glad, we glad to see you. Give me your age, your location, and your question, okay? 
Um, I'm 27. I uh, live in South Carolina. And I just wanted to ask questions about, um, you know, like some of possibly um, effects of like a breast reduction inside of our family. Um, well, my mom's side of the family, we tend to have like very large breasts and my little sister and both and I are both thinking about um, getting a reduction, but we, I want to know like possibly any um, downfalls of that, seeing how we both don't have children or anything like that yet. Mm. So uh, thank you for your question, Mahogany. Um, so um, a breast reduction when it comes to potential risks, I think is what you're asking for. Um, you know, there's risk with any type of surgery, um, but specific to a breast reduction, um, sometimes patients can lose sensation or have altered sensation of the nipple areola complex wow. after a breast reduction or any type of surgery. Well, not sorry, not <laughs> any type of breast surgery, not yeah. just a breast reduction. Um, but, uh, you know, that's a risk, but it's very small, like normally only about maybe 5%, less than 5% of patients could have permanent numbness. Um, I've seen and done uh, breast reductions on patients who are as young as 14 um, because they have enormous breasts that are causing issues with their self-esteem, clothes, um, they're getting bullied at school. Um, you know, or they get have back pain, they can't even carry a, a backpack around school. Um, so those are my younger patients, um, you know, but I have even, you know, middle age, you know, young adult patients who have the same symptoms, they get shoulder groovings from their bras, um, they can't go into a regular store and find a bra. Um, they have to get mm. specialty bras made, which are really expensive. Mm. Um, wow. so, you know, I see all those types of patients. Um, if you have a breast reduction before you had kid have, have had kids, um, about 70% of women are still able to breastfeed after a breast reduction. Um, and, uh, you know, as far as milk quantity and things like that, we don't really have any studies as far as that goes. But, um, you know, it's a very viable option. Um, I've seen plenty of patients who have had uh, breast reductions done in their early 20s or teens or anything like that. And then they've had children. They may come back and just need a lift. Um, sometimes if a patient gains a significant amount of weight after a breast reduction, then they might need to get a re-reduction much later in life. Um, but we're talking about a, a pretty substantial amount of weight. Um, most patients, you know, your breasts don't grow back like that, um, you know, unless you've had like a pregnancy or, uh, you know, a significant weight gain. Um, but, you know, the main things are, you know, the sensation issues, um, people wanting to know what's going to happen with breastfeeding. Um, what about if, the cost? Um, cost, you know, if it's medically indicated, then your insurance may cover it for okay. a breast reduction. Um, general cost for a breast reduction, um, if you pay out of pocket and don't want to jump through the hoops of the insurance company can range anywhere from about seven to, you know, around $10,000. Uh, so wow. and that's all in, you know, with surgery center fees and things like that. So, wow. But okay. it's worth it. A lot of patients, you know, who come in like my older patients who are maybe like, um, you know, in their 60s, 65, you know, and they finally say, okay, I'm going to get a breast reduction. The first thing they say at that post-op visit is, I should have done this years ago. Wow. I can see years that. Years ago. Wow. Yeah. I can see that with a lot of those things. That's how I, that's how I felt when I got LASIK. Me I was too. like, yo, I was like, how are people living without this? <laughs> when Tyshawn got lazy, he literally was like, yo, he was I, shaming me for having glasses. I was like, I just want to smack the glass off his face when I saw him. I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to bully him after. I'm like, do you know what I can do? <laughs> yeah. I'm 20. Don't disrespect the glasses. <laughs> 
it's something that's um you know i really appreciate like i don't even remember wearing glasses now like it's something i'm like wow i should have been done mm -hmm. but i was yeah. so apprehensive and i never actually investigated it i just mm -hmm. heard mm -hmm. the most craziest horror stories and when i went up there to get lasik i saw it was tons of people up there the doctor did thousands upon thousands of surgeries you know and um it was like wow i should have at least if i knew there was something i was interested in i should at least took the time to actually do my own due diligence and investigation yeah. rather than waiting for a friend to get it and then tell me that it's okay you know so yeah. you gotta have good so, friends man that's yeah right. but right. Shout out you gotta to, do your own due diligence as well yeah. no and that's what mahogany's doing so i appreciate you calling up here and risking it all at your workplace just <laughs> so you can okay mahogany of course y'all have a wonderful evening hey, you be too. blessed you too. man we got one of our initiates here shout out uh to sylvia harcy who's been a member here for a month she actually says i have implants skin thickness was a concern now that i have lost weight now ripples even with extra weight now ripples even with extra firm can you talk about skin thickness because just like the belly button the ripples matter too oh thank you ripples mm -hmm. what is what is i'm not sure did you, so, did you know what she's talking about i know what she's talking about so um basically you know implants is um a silicone shell and it's filled with either a silicone gel or saline which is salt water and so um you know if you think about it if you have you know a shape or device just filled with some sort of material um if it's on a hard surface then you know you're not really going to see any ripples or lumps and bumps but if it's kind of held upright, um, then depending on how it's within the body, like it might have some ripples once it kind of settles. And so that's what she's referring to. Um, if she has very thin tissue um, and say the implant is above her muscle, then, you know, it's only being covered by the breast tissue and then the skin. And so if she's lost weight from what it sounds like, um, she may have lost some of that volume within the breast. And so you can see ripples a little bit easier. Mm. Um, for a lot, a lot of reasons we put the, um, sometimes we put the implants underneath your pectoralis muscle and that helps to give a little bit of added layer of thickness or coverage to the implant so that you reduce the signs of rippling. So, um, you know, skin thickness, it is what it is. Sometimes what we can do is with a breast augmentation or even an implant exchange, if the patient has fat elsewhere, we can take that fat, you know, similar to what we would do for a Brazilian butt lift or something like that. But we can graft fat into the upper poles of the breast yeah. in order to help with some of that coverage um, to make it look a little bit more natural. That, thank you so wow. much for that, doctor. And we got, uh, it looks like we got somebody else in here. I'm going to bring to the stage here. And I'm going to do this real quick before you, well, you go ahead and bring them to the stage. I'm okay. going to do this real quick. We got some people I can tell they want to join the chat because they want to send over some questions for Welcome, our lovely Kay. doctors. So what I'm going to do is drop five memberships in here right now for, for any non-initiate. So I'm dropping five right now. I'm ready to add five more people to the chat so y'all can get involved too. Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas gets out to the family. We got the membership popping. Y'all can get up in here and chat with us. So, Kay, welcome to Hall Initiated. Hi, how are y'all doing? Hey, way to put that camera on when I brought you up to the stage. I'm that. happy to see you, Kay. You know, hey, you know, I figured, you know, if that young lady can do it, so can I. I oh, love it. I like that. Look at that. We ain't here. Look, it just takes one. All right. Shout out to you, So, Kay, look, give me your age, your location, and your question. Um, I'm 36. Um, I live in Atlanta. And um, my question is, so um, I recently had um, bariatric surgery. 
And I have had three children, breastfed, all three. Um, I've had a tummy tuck, well, a muscle repair before a tummy tuck muscle repair. And um, now that I've had this bariatric surgery, um, of course, you know, I have concerns about, you know, what loose skin is going to be like um, for me afterwards. Um, I have the same, you know, issue that mahogany has with like, you know, really large breasts, but I have the bariatric surgery because of um, just like, you know, medical conditions and health issues in my family. They kind of run in my family. Um, I wanted to kind of be preventative and wanted to kind of mitigate those things early and um, bariatric surgery seemed like the best route for me personally. Um, so, um, you know, I just kind of wanted to hear like the doctor's thoughts on like, you know, bariatric surgery and like, you know, kind of weight loss and then like, you know, plastic going into like plastic surgery post weight loss um, after bariatric. Mm-hmm. And, and what is bari- bariatrics? So that's weight loss surgery. Okay. Gotcha. So that's like gastric bypass, gastric sleeve, um, lap band surgery. What type of surgery did you have? Um, I had gastric bypass. Okay. So gastric bypass is is one of the more aggressive. Well, I wouldn't say aggressive, but really it's probably the most, most aggressive. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to say aggressive, well, but you know. Right. So, but it, it, it actually produces the best results, you know, when it comes to weight loss. Um, we do find that patients who have had gastric bypass surgery um, will drop the weight a lot quicker. Um, then, you know, potential patients who've had like the lap band or if they've had like a balloon or anything like that. Um, and so you kind of have to be, you know, ready to deal with that, um, depending on how, when you have the surgery and how quickly your body will drop the weight. Um, and so the reason why, uh, patients will sometimes end up with, you know, drastic excess skin is because it's very restrictive, you know, um, when that surgery is performed, um, you're completely bypassing, you know, certain areas of your digestive system. Um, you know, you might have to be on vitamin supplementation and really I want to bring in Dr. Dr. Ruffin, do you have anything to add with with that? Because I'm sure you see some of those patients. Yeah, because yeah, where does that I intertwine, think, you know, the, the surgery and the weight loss? Yeah, that's a really good question. And thank you for that question. To your point, from a medical bariatric standpoint, there's a surgical bariatric specialist and a medical bariatric specialist. And that will be the category that I fall into non-surgical. Um, I'm happy that you have found something that Uh, allows you to move towards your personal health and wellness goals. So congratulations for that. There are things that have to be managed and maintained post-surgery beyond the post-op period by which you would likely still continue to see your bariatric surgeon. Um, Dr. Aisha was starting to point to a few of those things are uh, nutrient deficiencies that have to be maintained. Very often, uh, we we just know that because the anatomy has been changed significantly, that there are parts of that digestive tract that serve as an absorption center. Mm -hmm. And depending on how the surgery was accomplished, some of those centers may no longer be as functional. So that means supplementation is going to be necessary for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And I think people skip over that and they have the weight loss benefit in some cases temporarily, in some cases permanently, but their their health is still not quite hitting all the markers. So make sure that you're getting good post-op care 
not only six weeks later, not only six months later, but year three, five, that you're continuing to do that. Um, the other things that are important in order to maintain those amazing results is the lifestyle shift that needs to go along with that. To have rapid weight loss can affect things like, <clears throat> and going back to things that are missing or, or things to be aware of, I have people that have had hair loss, uh, significant hair loss as a result of that. People who um, have things like dumping syndrome. So certain foods that you used to be able to eat, can't eat that way anymore. It's not just about the volume, but it's also about the mechanism mm -hmm. of digestion that is altered. So there are a number of things in short that need to be managed, uh, assessed, treated over the course of surgery for optimal uh, and best results. So I would say get with a medical professional that you're specifically saying, how can I be at my healthiest, best? having had this surgery mm -hmm. done. Because what she's talking about is, you know, a lot of these patients will have to be on B12, um, vitamin B12 supplementation, um, iron supplementation, because Calcium, areas, yeah, mm -hmm. like so many things, because there are specific areas in your stomach that, you know, are like, that's just what it does. Mm -hmm. Like your stomach doesn't just like, you know, Move you know, food. break down the food, move it or anything like that. There's specific areas. And so it's really important that, um, you know, uh, her bariatric surgeon has a plan set in place to guide her through that. But these are some of the reasons why a patient will rapidly lose weight and have these the excess skin. Um, and it really just depends where you lose the skin from, if that will be an issue for you. Um, you want to make sure, make sure that you have um, maintained whatever weight loss, um, and that it's stable for at least about six months before you then embark on having surgery. So, um, you know, that's what we want to know is that you've been stable and that you're not still actively losing. Because what I don't want you to do is to come and, you know, give me all your money and have surgery, but you're still losing weight. And then you come back and you still have excess skin after a surgery because you've still lost 20, 30 pounds afterwards. Mm -hmm. You know, so I like patients to be within about 10 to 15 pounds of their goal weight prior to going into surgery. So, um, you know, those are things you want. You just want to make sure that that's stable before you take that next step. Um, we do know that some patients who have had bariatric surgery are at a slightly increased risk for um, fluid collections, minor wound healing issues. Um, but, you know, I do additional measures to kind of uh, decrease the risk of them having those minor complications. Um, so if you come in and have a consultation with me, I will tell you all those things. Um, but I appreciate your question. Did I answer it? Did we answer it? Wait, can you uh, wait, say it again, Galahad? Yeah. You... Yes, yes, you did answer my question. I just, because everything you said, you guys said was extremely true. And it is a definitely a lifestyle change. And it's been, um, you know, kind of like a morning of like, you know, just, you know, old habits and, you know, starting new ones. But um, I definitely wanted to know, like, you know, kind of what's expected as far as like, you know, once the weight does come off, you know, if I do have loose skin, you know, post, you know, losing all that weight, like what would be the best course of action to kind of like handle that if it, if it comes to that. Yeah. And one thing that's going to be helpful for you is if you can work out as you are, um, as you're kind of dropping some of that weight to build up some of your muscle mass, as long as you're supplementing the right nutrients and things like that, because you don't want um, all that muscle to waste away. 
um, because then that will also, you know, cause, uh, you know, excess saggy skin um, and, you know, just decrease the overall appearance. So you want to have good muscle mass as well. So, Kay, thank you so much for coming wow. to Pan Asking thank That you Question. Guys. Thank you. So it sounds like you just can't get the surgery and it be done. I mean, it's, you can, but I mean, I don't think that's the best way. And all these things are investments, whether or not your insurance is paying for it, you're paying for it or, you know, anything like that. It's still an investment. The time it takes to be educated or to recover from these things. Um, it's an investment. It's really a turning point for most people's lives. But I've seen patients who come into my office and they have eaten through a gastric bypass. You know, wow. I'm looking at their surgical history and I'm like, wait, what did you have in 2012? For sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had that, but it didn't work. Wow. Okay. I had a Hold point. on. Hold <laughs> on. Wait. It didn't work. So they got the gastric bypass, but they still had to eat, but they never fixed the root cause of the eating issue. So, and the guy, and that, does that shrink your stomach? The gastric bypass actually bypasses, bypasses <laughs> the stomach. So there are pieces of the stomach that are rerouted to go into the small intestine, which is expands differently and has less expansive potential. Wow. Uh, and then other types of surgeries may reduce the size of the stomach either mm -hmm. by removing a portion or by uh, putting a restrictive a device mm -hmm. in place that causes a, only a certain amount of food, beverage, nutrients to go into the stomach at a certain period of time. Mm -hmm. So those are the most common. There's also the balloon, which is a restrictive device as well that goes into the stomach. It's more of a temporary device. Mm -hmm. And nonetheless, though, to your point and uh, where we kind of <laughs> nodded with each other is that these are not permanent by nature of the fact that you have had a surgical procedure. Mm. And the um, unfortunate part in many cases, especially with the gastric bypass, is that you have significantly altered your anatomy and that's not going back. And so to me, I will often say you kind of use, you know, in Uno or in space, you know, you use your joker. That's a good card. You yes. can sweep it up everything. Yes. And you've used that card and now you got to use a two of hearts, you know. So mm. it is uh, really important to think about the long game. And a lot of times when I see people who have had regain, which is fairly often. If you do this, look at the studies, the attrition rate on um, uh, surgical interventions can be relatively high within a five year time frame. What it, what it, what is so, it? so how many people ends up coming back? Yeah. How, what, what's the number on that? That number is pretty high. It could be as much as 50 percent. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. So people. So you're saying they come in, they get a surgery to, you know, be able to try to control their eating. To some degree, lose and less, and it could be potentially every two people that comes, one will have to be right back mm -hmm. in your office all over again because their habits pretty much have superseded the actual surgery itself. Right. What got to surgery didn't get corrected. The well, a lot mm. of these programs, though, they'll they'll put you through a program and some of them they'll I, I to know get you one. To the table. Yeah. Before you, you have to be in it almost like a year or some some program. Six, uh, six typically six months okay. for insurance to consider coverage, okay. six months. And yeah. now we're finding that they there are requ advancing requirements 
to be centers of excellence. The surgeons have to show a certain um, attrition rate for people that, you know, so that there's more now that's being added to it. Mm -hmm. But to that end is that the the point being is that regain is uh, possible. And we never want to say that that is probable because it, it depends on the individual. And there's some great results and people that are really great candidates mm-hmm. who really do absolutely well. They resolve diabetes. They get back active again. They get their lives together, reduce joint issues. Yeah. So, so much can happen from having the right surgery in the right person by the right um, surgeon and the uh, right appropriate follow-up. So it is to me a package that needs to be considered. There needs to be a short game in 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 terms of who you pick to do it and all of yeah. that. And then a long game for mm-hmm. uh changes in lifestyle that will and see that's like that really just seems like that's really the key. Like you know the, the key really is regardless whether you want to get surgery or not, you're gonna have to address the fact that you got to change your lifestyle. Like you mm-hmm. can't really get yeah. by that and you can't look at I think it's a, I think it's a great option to have, you know, to be able to, you know, have these surgeries, especially depending on where you are in life to be able to make a big jump, you know, and, and assist you in changing that pattern. But if you have not made your mind up that, that you want to really change that Mm -hmm. pattern and make a lifestyle change, you are potentially just wasting your, your money and your time because you're going to end up right back where you started Mm -hmm. and is it is it a little bit worse or harder when you've already had this surgery and you coming back again is that a worse point than never having surgery in the first place that's a great question and a couple of things i want to point out in what you said is that the lifestyle change is is essential uh adapting new habits uh and releasing old ones are really necessary because we know the definition of insanity is to do the same (laughs) thing and expect a different outcome, even after having had a surgical procedure. But I want to point out that it's easier said than done. Mm -hmm. I mean, we could, it's, it's easy for us to shake the proverbial finger and say, well, you know, this person needs to exercise more and eat less. And it's not always that easy. That's, Mm -hmm. that's a lot of people are doing that or have done that or have done versions of that for years and have still not been able to be uh, successful for the long haul. So sometimes there are other underlying issues. And in a lot of people that I work with, those issues may be hormonal. And so the surgery is a mechanical solution, but it mm. may not necessarily uh, be a hormonal solution. So there's so many things mm. to that, that cause what I call complex obesity. And so it is um, really important to take that into account. And for those people out there who have been in that, I've tried everything club and surgery is a final or a last resort or Hail Mary. Um, Just know that surgery is a tool in your toolbox to help you get closer and closer to your ultimate goal. And there are other tools that you get to add to that and you get to pull out some of the tools that you, um, that you like and some of the tools you got to pull out that you just, you know, you just got to do, you may not love them, but you got to use this tool. And sometimes it's getting more information around which tools to use when, 
I can't go in here or go somewhere and say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to nail something in and I'm using, I don't know, not a hammer instead. I'm using a screwdriver. It's just a different thing, a different outcome. So ensuring that you have a wide array of tools, you're very clear on how your body got to that in the beginning. I'm very big on what's the problem. Because if we know what that problem is, then we can get more clear and direct around what the solution is or the solutions may be. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's a lot. No, good context. context. I I got a question because I'm not sure we got some people on the Before you actually read that question, I want to give a big shout out to Judith here. Judith just blessed us. She said, hi, initiates. Just briefly stop by wishing y'all a Merry Christmas and a blessed new year. Enjoy. Remember, I love you. There's nothing you can do about it. Cheers. We love you too. But go Shout ahead. Shout out Ryan. to Judith, man. Another day one. We got to do something special for Judith no, she, and, she, and VJ and Yali and Teresa and, and, and Anna and, and all, all the, the people in there. Yeah, all the day one. Jonathan, King, everybody. Facts. But I had a question hey, for you. Hey, you as well. Don't hey, hey you oh, in oh, there. Got to. Got to. <laughs> but go ahead. Um, it's because I wanna, don't want to breeze past this because uh, I know a lot of people say genetics impacts your weight. And I hear that. I'm just like, really? Does does really does that really have anything to do with your weight? So you mentioned hormones. So what's the correlation between hormones and weight? Oh, that's a really good question. You you put two in there, but I'm gonna go oh, to that's, what you oh, asked. So that's two yeah, different yeah, yeah. Well, you you pointed out the thing around genetics. Okay. And if I can talk on on that for just a moment, very commonly, um, I don't know what this show was or TV or something. I don't watch a lot of TV. It's like my mama was big, my dad was big, my grandma, you know, all of those. And genetics do play a significant role, Um, especially in uh, pediatric obesity. There could be, uh, in other words, uh, overweight children. There could be a genetic component that carries on throughout life. It's past genetics that's hereditary. So there are certain syndromes, actually that may be underdiagnosed, actually, that uh, Prader-Willi is an an example of that. So there are um, different uh, genetic deficiencies that result in difficult to control obesity from a very early age or adolescence or childhood. So those are those, that's that. And then even the, we all have genetic programming that has a timer attached to it. And so over time, these uh, genetic, I call them switches, can be flipped on under the right circumstances. So when we look at genetics and we look at environment, which is the catch all for saying all the other stuff that that happens, whether that's medications, the foods you eat, the neighborhoods you grow up in, the stress you grow up under. uh, There's even studies that go into um, um, looking at what's called. Uh, adverse childhood events or an ACE study. And this was an amazing study. This study is so good. Um, It looks at, and that study was actually done for the, for the purpose of obesity, studying obesity, but so much came out of that, that work around trauma. So there's a lot of things that are not genetic. And in fact, there's more things that are non-genetic than genetic when it comes to people who have a tendency to be overweight. So you can out-environment your genetic predisposition. It is absolutely possible. So it is not a given that just because your family 
struggles with weight or has excess weight, that, that will happen. To the Don't you think a lot of that can also be behavioral? So, you know, aside, well, in those environmental in factors, because when they say, okay, my mom, my grandma, everybody, it's because everybody's used to eating a certain way or eating certain types of food. They give, you know, their large portions. Um, you, know, you have the, the little kids, you know, who are getting, you know, all Old this, place. you know, passing down them habits. Yeah, you know, Kool-Aid Kool that... in the baby bottle and, you know, and that oh. type of thing. Like, no, no, no. They put Kool-Aid in the baby bottle? Kool-Aid used to be, I'm going I'm to date myself again, Tang. You remember Tang? Tang. Oh, oh my God. God. You yeah. drink, that oh Capri Sun. Capri Sun. Yeah. Oh, I grew yeah. up on Capri Sun. So, so yeah. you have it to where, you know, her, you know, historically, like that's just, it, and you use it like, okay, that's just how we eat. Mm -hmm. you yeah. know or whatever you know so yes those things can be broken and changed but it has to start with someone right it, it, it definitely starts with someone it starts with um education uh that's where our our medical professionals come in and making sure that um and and it comes with being willing to receive the information and be, mm -hmm. being willing to make some little tweaks and changes you know let's let's admit it people say food is good food is good However, what we're what we're seeing is that while food tastes good, food is almost you, you can look at it as food is medicine or food could be poison. Yep. And so is when you look at the results, if you look at the results in your life, <clears throat> is your food proving to be? Where's the evidence? Is your food proving? And there's evidence that it is medicine for you, or do you see the evidence that it is poison? Mm -hmm. So I, in that though, you you described uh, environment, behavioral, sociologic, socioeconomic, um, education status. All of those things are are factoring. You know, it's interesting. I don't know who it was. Maybe Socrates. Y'all help me in the chat. But somebody actually said they quoted, "You either use your, uh, you said you use your food as medicine." or you will eat your medicine as food. And the thing mm, about it mm -hmm. is when you, cause we had Dr. Tamer come on here as well. Incredible doctor, incredible episode. If y'all have not seen that, we talked about intergenerational trauma and she did talk about how food, especially in our culture, it could be used to cope with all types oh, of yeah. issues. Mm -hmm. We use food to use, Hey, look, we're not going to talk about all this shit that we're going through Let's as a eat. family. Let's just sit down and eat. And matter of fact, we know what you've been through. We know what you've been through, but we're going to sit here and we act like it ain't going to happen. As a matter of fact, I know you're going through a lot. You're going to get that nice piece of sweet potato pie uh -huh. to deal uh -huh. with your issues. <laughs> and we can use food, like you said, as a drug and to cope and not necessarily use it for what it really was designed yeah. to be, to be fuel and energy for our bodies. Um, but, you know, that is it's up to us to identify what parts are toxic in our culture. And although we may love it, mm -hmm. we have to understand how to, what to change and modify, mm -hmm. especially as we, you know, create our own lifestyle and our own habits mm -hmm. and habits Pass for our children. Yeah. Right. So that's really, really important for us to be able to differentiate that. And I want to actually talk about this now because we talk, okay. why you look like that? <laughs> I got excited. You saw me get excited? <laughs> But I was like, is it still the hormones? Well, I'm like, I'm, I'm, no, with, I'm here for it. No, no, no. This is this something different now because, <laughs> you know, the hottest topic 
is always when we talk dating and relationships, y'all. Okay. But y'all, look, y'all gonna learn today. Y'all eating y'all damn vegetables on this episode. <laughs> right, right, right. So y'all about to learn today. I hope y'all got the notepad out and taking notes because here is where we do some real work on these kind of episodes. Mm -hmm. But I want to talk about that a little bit because first of all, let's start here. When we talk, and I'm curious about both of you guys, do you see a consistent pattern between are, are most of your clients single? Or are they in relationships? And of the ones that are single or in relationships, are they motivated differently to work with you guys? I could I could start that one. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> I, I see the gamut, but what I will say that I'm seeing more and more are single, unmarried, no children. And um, professional nearing at or over 40 who are almost kind of like traversing lifespans mm. by the time that they see me, by which, and I will add to that, um, even those that are challenged with fertility. So I'm seeing a, a significant number of those uh, women who are kind of going through phases and hitting milestone times of life and kind of bypassing them. Now, I, I don't want to imply that every woman wants to be married or coupled or a parent or become pregnant. So I, I want to make sure that I put that out there. Right. I'm just saying that I'm seeing a number of people I even see, you know, a fair number of people who have not even been in a serious relationship. Some people who have not dated, and these are people that are in, in their 30s. Wow. That have not dated, that have not been chosen, if you will, by a person of in in this these cases, the opposite sex. So because of the because of their confidence? I don't know that it's all of because of one reason. What is common is that they come to me for weight mm. loss. Got it. That makes sense. And, and and with you, is it a similar avatar or is it completely different, especially um, when considering who's, you know, in a relationship or single? I would say it's um, kind of 50-50. You know, okay. I do see a lot of married patients. Um, you know, a lot of my mommy makeover patients are married. Um, but then I see, you know, decent amount of, um, you know, divorced patients um, or just single um, you know, which they say, you know, okay, well, I'm either deciding not to have children or I never want to have children, but I want to do this or that. Um, or I've had children and, you know, I want to mommy makeover. Um, I think, I think it's a wide range, um, you know, patients, but I would say, you know, probably about 60, 60% of my patients are probably married. Wow. And they're motivated. I, I mean, they're most of them are internally motivated to, you know, come and seek to have some sort of change. Um, it's not that they're being externally motivated as much. Okay. Okay. And so, Dr. Ruffin, I want to know this, too, because when it comes to addressing the issue specifically of weight, do you feel like after, especially for the clients that may have done the work and are actually seeing results and are improving in their goals. Do they, do you, do you, I don't know if you communicate with them after a follow-up, but do you find that they may have success in also achieving some of those other goals relationally? 
that they want to achieve once they actually hit those goals? Absolutely. And to just to be clear, I think the first relationship that I see begin to shift is the relationship with themselves. Mm. And that opens up the door for more success in any outward relationship. Mm. Um, a lot of times I'm dealing with people who have had excess weight for a very, very long time. So there have been some longstanding um, self-esteem issues or self-worth people who have uh, kind of, I, I ain't going to just kind of taken anything from anybody to be with someone uh, based on where they see themselves and their value. So um, I definitely will say that in the work that we do, because it's so comprehensive, we're looking at it psychologically, spiritually, emotionally, uh, that there is a high level of self-awareness that comes with our process. And so people almost be sometimes begin to see another version of themselves. And I won't necessarily just say it was it's better version, uh. but I will certainly say a more evolved mm. um, version that lends itself to more discernment and discretion in new relationships, that's including friendships. Mm. People who have just kind of had folks beside them because that's who they felt like they had or could get or could maintain. So uh, when there's a higher level of confidence and self-value, then it's like, well, you know, I have a little bit more choice. Mm -hmm. I can, you know, I don't, I don't like how that, I don't like that energy. Or I, I no longer can get down with that program. That, that, that doesn't work for me anymore. So while there may be gaining new relationships, there's the refining and sometimes the pruning of relationships that mm -hmm. no longer serve them. Mm -hmm. mm. So would you, would you consider? Wow. You? No, no, no. That's no that, a, that, was that was a great answer. That was good. That was a great answer because the relationship with yourself is is very important. And oh. if you mm -hmm. if you get disconnected with that relationship, you, I mean, how can you have a successful relationship with anybody else? Like mm -hmm. sincerely, Facts. a real, a real authentic, deep relationship Facts. with ever, anyone else. If you don't have that with yourself, right. just overweight and, in general represents a bit of disconnection. And it's see, like not maintaining your, your vehicle. And mm -hmm. see, and see, this, this is what I want to know because see, but can I interject? Oh, like hey. I know we've been talking about a lot of overweight, over you know everything you know related to that. Um, but there's a lot of skinny fat people walking around. Yeah. Skinny you fat, know? yeah, mm -hmm. like okay. people who are just you know they they don't put on weight as much they might have a higher metabolic metabolic rate but they're just not healthy at all mm -hmm. you know they thing. can still deal with some of the emotional type of issues or behavioral type of issues that patients who put on weight a little bit easier deal with you know it's a, and they're not healthy you know like wow. they may be pre-diabetic mm -hmm. they might be mm -hmm. diabetic or hypertensive or whatever you know so i think when it comes to you know overall uh, you know, how food makes you feel like you still have people who may not have a high BMI who are dealing with some of the, you know, kind of emotional issues that, you know, come from eating or, you know, eating poorly and things like that. Wait, so, so they literally might be having some of the same practices as somebody who's visibly overweight mm -hmm. and just not gain any of the, the yeah, weight. Yeah, potentially. But on the inside, their body is experiencing something very similar. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. And yeah. see, when I think about that, because when we think about those patterns, 
of somebody who's, you know, potentially having eating disorders or a lot of those things that, you know, that you were talking about they're dealing with and even lose that, that connection and relationship with themselves. Do you find that majority of the people that you actually serve, would you even be able to say that they're probably, you know, clinically depressed? There are not just the, the, what I, that's a great question. Not just who I see, but there are definitely studies that show a correlation between uh, depression or major depressive disorder, clinically de clinical depression and weight. And so there are definitely, and, and so, yes, I do see that. And I also know that I'm not the only one seeing it because there are studies that show that. Now, we can't necessarily always say why the correlate is there. And I think that the jury is still out in many cases on why. They, so in other words, I don't want to say here that if you're overweight, you ought to, you, you're probably going to be depressed. And if you're depressed, you're going to be overweight. Right. And, however, there are correlates and that have been very well documented, although we may not necessarily always be able to say exactly what that correlation is built or the foundation for that. But but to answer your question, that does happen. And, you know, to what you say, clinical depression is not weight dependent. Mm. Um, so and if I can in just one second on that, people who are experiencing depression in general, especially more and more these days, may absolutely look like they got everything going on. Mm -hmm. mm. They may be, you know, the perfect size, perfect career, exposure on all the right social media platforms. Their bank is fine. It's, you know, so they have the kids, the husband. Like So that's a whole different ball game when we begin to talk about that aspect of mental health. And, and I love to use the word mental wellness is that we there's no shape, size, or color that creates a significant distinction in those who will experience those challenges and those mm. who won't. You know, honestly, I 100% can see and understand that. I think I, I most mostly wanted to bring it up because you're right, it's deep. When we started talking about the relate somebody who's not uh, having a, a good relationship with themselves, mm -hmm. you know, I think it's probably even a, a better common factor to use than the weight even itself mm -hmm. yeah. you know because when you really start to to lose that connection with yourself you stop being self-aware you know you can stop taking care of yourself you can stop doing what's best for yourself you can stop putting yourself first and pouring into yourself mm -hmm. yeah. and 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 that i think is when we start really spiraling downhill as we continue to neglect ourselves long term and, and really, that, I don't even think that's gender specific or anything because, mm -hmm. man, we can we can do that very easily as well. Mm -hmm. You are spot on. And if I could just add to that, that the level of self-awareness in many adults, I won't say most because I can't give you a statistic right now, but I will tell you the level of self-awareness in the adult population ever. So we're not saying have lost or weight has changed it or when you went through a divorce that changed it or any circumstance affected the self-awareness, the level of self-awareness that people have in general have developed because self-awareness is a development is very, very low in the general population. Mm. So self-awareness parallels emotional intelligence in a lot of ways. 
And that emotional intelligence, the ability to emote intelligently with self Mm -hmm. and to also emote intelligently with others is, 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 is not as well developed as a function of getting older as we think it should be. So there are some things that we think should just happen because you get older. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you used to be a teenager. Now you're older. You should know better. And that's not that's not the case. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we are growing up in homes that have had a fair amount of, if, if I will, for lack of a better term, because it's almost 10 o'clock, dysfunction, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> dysfunctional homes or homes that, Uh, introduced trauma and so coping mechanisms or ways of living ways of life were developed in a non or dysfunctional way and so now we take that into adulthood if there are no other patterns that are introduced or no other areas that we are educated and properly trained on how to come out of these patterns so um, that being said self-awareness is not a given just like common sense is not a given. So those who, and and the thing about self-awareness is that you, until you start to work on being self-aware, you don't realize how unaware you are of yourself. Right. That's so true. Yeah. So, that being said, I gotta, I gotta, gotta, amen, I hear. (laughs) So, so, and I'm going to tie this in somehow, some way. Obviously, we we've talked a little bit about the sisters. I'm gonna, if I can, talk to the brothers. Talk to the brothers <laughs> on that. Okay. Um, because self awareness, as we develop in it, those who choose to look at why is it, there are questions that we begin to ask ourselves. Why is it everything goes wrong for me? Why can't I ever catch a break? Why do I keep ending up with the jokers and the suckers and the scrubs. And why can't I, why is it that I can't seem to keep a job? Why am I never happy with this? Why am I never satisfied with that? Why do I always, they always calling me. They never call that person. So there are questions that we're asking ourselves. And what is easy to do is, because my boss is a jerk. I I never should have hooked up with that dude. That lady don't like me. That's why I can't get ahead. I should have done my money. Y'all, y'all smarter than me. You, you started out with a little bit more seed money than I did. So there are reasons that we come up with that point the finger as to why we are having these high levels of complications or dissatisfaction. And there is seldom the time that unless somebody asks you to do mirror work and the reflection comes back to say, what's the constant in this equation? It is me. So then one has to take that information the next step and say, well, dog, what is it about me? Right. <laughs> yep. And then that step is, well, who can help me discover that? Mm-hmm. And then will I take the step to do that? And if I get with someone that can help me discover that, how much of that will I begin to then ter- in- take internally mm-hmm. and to self-reflect? How much then? And because there are levels to this, because you can come become aware and don't do anything with that. But there's the, all the way over to healed. When we start to see where these wounds are and these scabs and these bruises and bumps that we've carried throughout life, where do we now begin to heal those? And that's a choice. Mm. First of all, you preaching so heavy right now. I, I, I had to write I'm some like, down. I'm writing some down right here. 
Cause you went, you went straight, went from Doctor Jada Ruffin to the pastor, Reverend, Pastor Ruffin, Pastor Ruffin. But but no, what you saying is so true, and I know that's hitting somebody here. Matter of fact, if y'all getting blessed, we ain't brought no doctors up here in a minute. If y'all getting blessed right now, I want y'all to drop a blessed in the chat. I gotta make sure y'all up right now. If they ain't here blessing, I want y'all to drop a blessed in the chat, and you gotta go ahead and hit the like button right now. Cause listen, hit that like button, hit that great like button, cause I want to make sure. That y'all still up and engage with us here. Yeah, we got a in chat fact, in, I don't even know how this happened. We not taking no more calls on initiation hotline, but somebody sneaked up in here. <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and let this last young lady up in here. Yeah, I see your up. face. Gigi, what's up with you, Gigi? Hey, look, she oh, over here. Wow. She over here shocked Gigi, that she got what's up? What's up, Gigi? <laughs> Welcome to the show. Oh man, okay, okay, okay. Hi, everybody. Oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. Okay. <laughs> so listen, up? Gigi, listen, listen. Okay. Uh, what I want you to do. Is oh I want my. you to give us your age, your location, and then give us your question, okay? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Um, um, Lord, my heart breathing. Let me slow this down a second. Okay. I'm 37. <laughs> yes, I'm 37. I live in um, Denver, Colorado. And wow. yes, I'm Gigi. My question is, I had I've had gastric sleeve. Um, yeah, I've I've had gastric sleeve. I've lost about 80 pounds already. Wow. Um, right? I know. Go me. Go me. Um, <laughs> my question is about vitamins and fasting. Uh, I've, I've had the sleeve and they gave me a regimen for my vitamins, right? Um, is there a way to that I could still get the nutrients I need without the vitamins, considering that I had gas, I mean, had the sleeve and also um is it possible to experience skin tightening from fasting or would you not recommend fasting at all for someone that's had gastric sleep? And that's my question. Um, I probably would not recommend it. Um, you know, I, I would talk with your bariatric surgeon, you know, regarding that, but um, I wouldn't re recommend it at least, you know, within the first I don't know, several years of having the procedure because you are losing weight at such a rapid um, pace. Um, if you continue to fast, um, then, you know, you're, you will continue to rapidly lose weight. You know, um, I, uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. Cause that's not really my lane. <laughs> so, but as, you know, as far as I know, as far as I don't think fasting is going to help you tighten your skin. If that's okay. one of the questions that you ask. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Was that was that all you had, Gigi? And then uh, for for vitamins. Got it. Okay. So of course, always check this out with your doctor. Mm -hmm. uh, I will say that there are a number of nutrients that you may not be able to get in the amount that you need going forward. Uh, some so supplementation may be the way to go. The other thing about that is now that the size of your anatomy has changed. Even if you could get those foods in, you may not be able to get them in in the quantity that's necessary to get you to the amount that's most sufficient for your for your body. Right. So in, in short, I would say kind of count on taking some supplements. Okay. The other thing that you should do even after that is get those levels checked regularly. We don't yeah. always have to guess about everything. 
you can get those levels checked because just because you're taking it doesn't mean that you still have an adequate supply of it available, bioavailable to your body. So get that checked regularly. They don't make the don't make assumptions that because you're taking vitamin D that your vitamin D levels are exactly where they need to be because that may not be the case. And I see that all the time mm -hmm. for a number of reasons. Sometimes it's the dose. Sometimes it's the brand. Sometimes it's the frequency. Sometimes it's the gut. And there's so many other things that go into that. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I want to point out that you um, you touched on, I thought you were going to go all the way there, is that with rapid weight loss, one of the biggest things that we see is not only are you losing fat rapidly, but you're also losing muscle. And there is no discernment in that process, particularly in a surgical case. So to fast and to not have the adequate stores that your body needs throughout the 24-hour waking period and the demands that your body has during your active times, as well as repair time, which is your sleep time, those things will make a difference. And I will tell you, if you are not mindful of the muscle loss, that can very well be a trigger for that attrition that we talked about, because mm -hmm. that makes a difference in how your body metabolizes. So we talk about fat, we talk about muscle, we talk about skin, those are three different things. And I don't know the answer for you about whether fasting is absolutely right for you. So you should talk to your doctor. But I would definitely say I see no added value in taking that route, given okay. the situation at hand. But mm. you will have less loose skin, you know, like we touched on with the other um, caller. You'll have less loose skin if you do preserve that muscle volume. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Excellent. Well, look, Gina. Thank you for coming up on here all late after the initiation hotline and everything. But look, you got you got in there. You got blessed, okay? Thank you. Thank you so much. Time for Dr. Jada to talk a little bit about like Ozempic. You know, and so a lot of those. Yes, factors. because that's relevant. Because, because it's a very hot topic. Mm -hmm. Lots of patients are, you know, literally Ozempic. just had a youth. I mean, you and the initiates, y'all on the same page. We just had <laughs> Kay Ann send over a question. She says, Does Dr. Jada deal with the pills too? I know several people using Ozempic or the other one right now. I guess the other one is the, I'm not sure what the there's, other one there's is. There's about four different ones. Right? Okay. Yeah, they're, okay. and they're, they're rapid firing too. Does so that work? Does that yeah. stuff even work? So let's get into it. Okay. So Ozempic, which has been the flagship drug of a class of medications called GLP-1 agonist or GLP-1s is what they're being marketed as. Ozempic is the one that hit the mainstream as an injectable form of weight loss medication wow. that one uh, had a strong marketing game. I'm going to give you that, mm -hmm. which was followed by it by even stronger marketing game with Ugovi. Um, and can I use brand names? So, and then there are others that have followed that are combo um, with GLPs that are combos. So let's just say if we're talking about that class, they are an injectable class that has just skyrocketed as a as the the shot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the skinny sh shot. The skinny shot. The skinny shot. The skinny, skinny shot. shot. The skinny shot. The skinny Insane. Shot. So that's like the new hydroxy cut. Almost like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, I heard that thing was eating folks up alive. I, I, I don't know, but it's so, not out there anymore. Either. 
Okay, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so, so, wow. t- so tell me about this joint. So, now. so this drug has uh, originally started. It's its class of medication started as a treatment for diabetes. And from there, one of the things that they found in clinical studies after using it for diabetes is that it affected two things. One, it affected appetite, and two, it affected weight. Well, three things, and of course, it affected blood sugar. Mm. So that's kind of the backbone of, of what these drugs do and have been proven to do over time. So the I think if I was saying a few things and then I let more questions come my way because I could talk about this for a good a good little while is that Ozempic is still a medication so while you can get it at the gas station you can get it off your grandma dresser no prescription needed well no prescriptions should be needed but people are getting it everywhere kind of like fix the flat so, wow. <laughs> so they're like compound pharmacies that are compounding it. And if you pay, then you can get it. Well, get it's compound thing. pharmacies, which, you know, may not be the worst of it. I don't know that that is even the worst of it. I think that the, the thing that I want to point out is this is not a panacea. This is not a, a one size fits all come one, mm-hmm. come all. And, and so I think, What's really important if that some if someone is considering this is that you're a good candidate. You're the right candidate for this, that this makes sense, that you've been adequately evaluated, your your labs have been reviewed, we've looked at your health history, your um chronic conditions that may or may not apply. So there's the thing because it's still a drug mm-hmm. and there's still side effects, there's still potential um complications of using it. And so the second thing is that you need to be using it with someone who knows this very well, mm-hmm. not because you can prescribe it means that you that they should prescribe it. It's like, you know, imagine if we could get our hands on chemo. I mean, I could I, I guess we could prescribe it. I wouldn't want to mm-hmm. because I can't manage all it could goes with that. I don't. Mm-hmm. That's not my lane. Yeah. So I would definitely say make sure that you're with a, a a medical professional that is able to kind of, if they get you in it, they can get you out. Yeah. Kind monitor of, and it, develop monitor. a plan. And I develop see, a I see lots of plan. people here of a lot of people who are taking it. They're prescribed it by either their primary care or whoever, but they're just prescribed and there's no end in sight. Third thing. <laughs> there you go. She, she nailed it. Is that this, this is part of a game plan, a short range, middle range and long range. At some point, you it's plausible, although the studies are 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 now showing that they're, they're booming them out. OK, we've shown it for up to 16 weeks, up to 26 weeks. Now we're going up to 48, uh, 52. So so they're showing the possibility of being able to take these things long range. Well, remember now with the originals, that class that I just mentioned, you're talking about 10, 15 percent of body weight. So if you're five two, five three, and you're two hundred pounds, and you lose, you know, twenty pounds or twenty five, that's significant. But categorically, it's still a lot of weight left to be lost. Mm-hmm. If we were talking about really make putting a dent in other, if from a preventative standpoint. So anywho, uh, knowing what the long range game plan is is really really important because. Then you start to decide, do I want to be on this long-term medication for this condition 
and what would happen if I were not on it any longer. So um, understanding the side effect profile, making sure that you have um, the ability to, to be monitored appropriately and then when appropriate, which is important for me, my goal as, as a wellness, I, I mean, I, I'm a weight loss specialist, but I'm a, I'm a wellness professional at heart and always have been, is to minimize the amount of drugs that you need to take as often as I can to, to now, medications have a role and we use them for the role that they play. And some people need them long term. If there's something that can be adjusted over time because you do the things that make the difference, then yeah. that becomes the medicine. Yeah. Yeah. So if that is physical activity, I had somebody in the office the other day. That's that's part of your medication regimen. Mm -hmm. So you want to stay off this blood pressure medicine. You want to. Da, 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 da. That's it. Yeah. You so there's the so it's a tool. Mm -hmm. It is a tool. So you think so you you would actually this Ozempic, you would do you think that this could be a good solution um for somebody that really wants to consider losing weight? I do. I think it can be very helpful. I wow. think it is can be very helpful in the right person with the proper amount of evaluation prior to to determine that that that's that right person and with the right supervision and the right game plan. I think it can be very, very helpful. Uh, but you, all of the other stuff that come with Ozempic that you mentioned, because I don't think that's what people are doing. They're probably just going straight to the pill and hoping for the, some mm, results. To the to the to shots. To the shots. And hoping yeah. for results or still a lot of people are using it and they still they eating and drinking mm -hmm. and being merry. Yeah. Wow. wow. And they're okay with just being on that medication. Yeah. You know, because cause. you know, either cause. they're not having any side effects from it, you know, and they feel like they could just take it and not have those modifications in place. You have patients or you have it to where they're prescribed a certain amount and they can dial up their dose when mm -hmm. they feel like it. You know, so that's why it's important I'm to have this, someone. I'm gonna dial up my with, dose because I'm yeah. like, I know I'm about to go in. Right. So oh. I mean it's it's <laughs> I mean, and it's it's like a weekly shot, so it's not like you you know take it like you when know, you right take it as prescribed. That part okay. when you take it uh, <laughs> that part, but um, in addition, you know, it's like so that's why it's important to have oversight, you know, so that you're not accelerating the dose too quickly, and then causing some of these potential complications that are associated with the medications, mm -hmm. which could be significant. Yeah, ileus. Uh, they said on this obstruction. They said on these joints that like gas stations and everything like like is yeah, is, it, is it getting ratchet? Just, let's just say bootleg. Yeah. I mean, but it oh it sounds like you said so like you somebody know. opening up their jacket and saying I got. So <laughs> where should you be buying? And I got plenty. So, so let the people oh, know no. where should they be buying this joint from? They should go to their medical professional, their physician or physician's uh, mm -hmm. assistant or whomever is a reputable source that has credentials that has studied this work and has the ability to not only prescribe but to manage this area of as a treatment of care so for yeah. this for that problem and thank you they're using it because i'm i'm assuming they actually injecting themselves mm -hmm. yeah wow yeah so don't y'all be going to the exxon and buying a pack of newports <laughs> yeah and some damn ozempic <laughs> all right that's not how and it's supposed to go down and hot cheetos. And some hot cheetos. hot cheetos and ozempic all right None of that that's ratchetry. The, that's the combination. <laughs> <laughs> but that, right. that don't sound good at all. No, that's that's a fact. That's really a fact. And I want to make sure. I think we got one more question. Yeah, we got a question. We got we in. got one more. Y'all listen. Th these ladies got to get home. 
So y'all better yeah. go ahead and throw a super chat in right now because we're closing it down. Let's go ahead and read this super chat and get this in for the ladies. Shout out to Angela B, one of our lovely initiates. She says, Shout out. so grateful for this conversation. Can the doctors touch on hormonal imbalances that cause issues and weight gain? You kind of talked about that a tad bit, but I, she but mentioned she, in fibroids, birth control, and other medications. So birth control, call, well, well, I got so many questions. What uh, is fibroids? I hear yeah. about fibroids all the time. What is that? Fibroids is a condition of the uterus, uh, which is women's womb, okay. the uterus, that um, are benign growths that um, can grow in, sizably in any layer of that organ, the uterus. And fibroids are very, very common, particularly in women of color. Mm. And can result in significant dis-ease by way of uh, affecting how people's digestive tract, the bladder, uh, can affect fertility, can affect uh, things like anemia as a result, especially if those fibroids result in excessive menstrual cycles or bleeding outside of the menstrual cycle, clots, things like that. It's a very common condition and it, it, it's a it's a bit of a nuisance. Mm. So um, and we're seeing this in every age and stage uh, post puberty. So people in their 20s and 30s mm. are diagnosed, uh, probably becomes become a little bit more aware of it in the 30s. Typically, they will remain active um, until the time of menopause. And um, can you stop these from coming or is it just kind of natural occurrence or they can be familial in, in some cases, there are many um, theories that indicate that some people are more likely to develop fibroids based on eating patterns, stress patterns um, that uh, in addition to family patterns, so there are some other associations and things that are thought to make uh, fibroids, if they are there, even worse, can mm. be some of those things that we talked about. So that's kind of a, the long and the short of fibroids, which kind of correlate if we switch a little bit to the, another part of that question to birth control, because that can be a method of treatment for fibroids, depending on the types of fibroids. So some people take birth control to kind of settle them down. To what? Keep them, to I keep did the not bleeding. know that. Mm -hmm. I did not know birth control was used for anything else besides birth control. Oh, yeah. Acne. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What? A number yeah. of things. Regulating menstrual cycles. Regulating menstrual cycles. Wow. Yeah. I've heard about the regulated menstrual cycles. Mm -hmm. And interesting. But also, it can affect your weight gain. As well. Well, yeah. And certain types of birth control are more likely to be associated mm -hmm. with weight gain. And specifically in this case uh, that we that I see most often is the injection called Depo-Provera. I've heard of that. I heard of Depo. Depo, man. Depo can be a doozy for some people. So uh, top things that people will have with Depo, hair loss, um, weight gain, and um, irregular bleeding. Wait, so what's the so, what's the cons? What's well, and you know, I'm I'm so sorry to cut you off. This is fascinating to me because I feel like this is this kind of hits home because just about every woman I've ever even dated have had some kind of birth control. Right. You know, mm -hmm. most of them at least. So 
there's different. So what are the different cons as you go into depot? What are those different types though? Just so I can get a, a good understanding. Well, presumably those women had birth control for birth control because that's the number one reason that people right. take birth control right. is right. control birth as <laughs> control pregnancy. So let's just assume that that's the case. But categorically, the types of birth control, there's the peel. Yeah. There's the patch. There's the ring. Mm-hmm. There's the shot. There's the imp- implant. Yeah, 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 the thing that be yeah. in the arm. And the, wait, there's no the. I never heard of <laughs> I've experienced all of these so yeah. far. There's the IUD. <laughs> there's the IUD. <laughs> he missed another sound. Yeah, that's the, sound. Uh, you know, he, yeah that, 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 is, that is a sound right there. Okay. But go ahead. There's the IUD, and then there's surgery. Mm-hmm. Whether that is, there's these things that go into the fallopian tubes. So those are a thing. And then the surgical removal, burn, cut, tie. As you have some women say, I want them cut, tie, burn, remove, disintegrated, fried, <laughs> take wow. it to the garbage dumpster, <laughs> bury it under. getting your tubes tied. That's basically. called getting your yeah. tubes tied. Exactly. So that's a lot. And the that, depot, that, where are we but, going with this? No, no, no. Go but where, where we going yes. with it is the depot in particular is the one that is most related to Weight gain. It is. It is. Out of all of them. Depot is. And okay. uh, and a close to that is the uh, implantable, uh, which has different different brand names, but the implantable. And that primarily because it's unopposed progesterone. And um, so that can be a significant uh, issue for, and when I say weight gain, I'm not talking about a little bit. Like some people who experience weight gain from these types of birth forms of birth control we're talking 30 40 50 60 pounds wow. you're talking about girls Insane. kids that have never had a weight issue Are you, you're talking about a 16 year old who was 120 pounds you see her a year later she 180 I'm oh. a, it's, it's really and this is a, a kid and what we also don't often think about talk about read about study is the impact on the um, suppression of ovulation at that stage of life as an adolescent and the other impact on other evolving hormones and specifically testosterone. So there are a number of things that can happen in that hormonal realm from puberty all the way to perimenopause, all the way to menopause. I'm gonna do a whole episode on that. No, we to need be to. Honest, I, this this really gives me do. so much, uh, so much this empathy because you know both men and women are obviously actively involved in creating a baby, mm-hmm. but it's only the women aspect you hear about when it comes to the birth control. Yeah, see, see. And I didn't, <laughs> I didn't understand. Like, I mean, I'm just thinking about when I was a serial casual dater, and I just used to ask women if they was on birth control. Now that I had no idea, I could have been asking them to take something that they could potentially lose a head full of hair. And, or and, potentially you gain 40, 50. I didn't know it was such a health risk oh, man. to embark on this type of thing. So it's just kind of, man, it's just like so many things to learn. Even how it can yeah. affect like their fertility. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. it's just all of these different things that birth control can literally affect. And like when you're young and and you just in that sex culture, it's ignorant. Like mm-hmm. I, I, rem- I remember even like, you know, a girl like a a woman bragging that like because she was always so skinny growing up she was always like just kind of this like kind of get roasted about being bony yeah then she hopped on the depot and now she thick and now she 
bragging about the thickness because of the birth control. She's like, yeah, the birth wow. control put weight on me, blah, say, blah, say, blah, but that, okay, I guess that's good, right? You know, because now you're getting validated by the culture, but really what else happened yeah. to your body? Yeah. What else Internal. is going on? Internally. Internally yeah. was really mm -hmm. going on. So, I mean, it's, it's a lot and, and we can really go in heavy on that. So I do yeah. want to do a whole separate episode on that, but I think the whole purpose of going there was she was asking about the different hormonal effects that can have, uh, which can affect weight gain, which birth control was just one of those, which it is verified that, that, that hormones have a large effect on your weight gain in general. Right. And so as I was segueing from that, from that puberty all the way through, um, to the childbearing years, that's another time that we see women put on a significant amount of cluster weight is what I call it. Cluster weight is, is, um, significant amount of weight that, that in, in many cases doesn't come off. Yeah. So not losing that weight postpartum. Our typical goal is to have you back at pre-pregnancy weight by month 12. So by the time your baby's one, sometimes people don't get to that pre-pregnancy weight, have another baby and they're already carrying 30 pounds from the previous pregnancy. So stay with me. If you started out 130, you gained 60, you lost 30, you're now, you know, 160 pounds. You go into the next pregnancy, gain X amount of weight. You don't lose all of that. Then you've added another 20, 30 pounds. So you could easily in two to three kids end up 60, 70 pounds overweight. So somebody that started out 130, 150 could easily be 210, 220. And that hangs out if you don't, if, yeah, if you're not intentional about it, you could say, I'm, I have this baby weight and your baby could be 22. So mm. it is another cluster time. So, and yeah. Okay. No, 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 no. I get what you're saying. And I want to ask y'all this. And Ryan, let's drop this poll real quick. Because I know a lot of moms just out of wanting to prevent shame on the family, wanting to prevent, you know, uh, unintentional and unplanned pregnancies. They put their daughters on birth control very young. Mm. And, you know, we seeing some of the things that can happen with birth control. It's, you know, the weight gain, the, just, just all the things, all the side effects that come with it. Is that something that mothers should not necessarily do? Is that, is that unethical? Is that wrong to put your child on birth control? And I want to get the chat on that question too. Let's drop that poll to and see what, their and thoughts. What's the, is it, is, is it, it wrong or should you, or should you not put your teenager on birth control because again i i really believe that's very common and i don't know if it's talked about widely but i knew a lot of young ladies that were in high school on birth control a large amount of young ladies and most of them that conversation i i think is really had with the mom like because i don't i don't know if the, the the father's usually the one really being aggressive about it i really think it's the mother but in general, despite of it, do you think that that's right or wrong? Just in general, I want to get well, you. Wait, wait, before you answer that, I'm gonna drop the poll. Yeah, I'm drop the poll. <laughs> we gonna drop. We gonna drop the poll because Should I want to know. Should you put your daughter on birth control before the doctor answers? Because I know some of y'all gonna try to change y'all. Yeah, don't be stealing y'all answer right, for what right, the doctor right. say. I really want your authentic opinion on that one because I think that, because this is something that's really happening and the votes is racking in here. 
I want to go ahead and announce this one in just a few. And while this is also happening, go ahead and hit the thumbs up. It's 1030. Y'all. Both are piling in. Hit the thumbs Both up. Both are piling in. So, yes, we're ready for you now. Yes. <laughs> so, go ahead. Uh, so, I I will not weigh in the way that you think. I'm not going to give a right or a wrong. Okay. That is a personal mm-hmm. decision per each family, per each relationship, each mother, daughter, father, whatever who is a part of that decision making and just so you know it is plausible and in all 50 states there are contraceptive laws that protect and allow teens from varying ages depending on the state as early as 14 I believe is all the way up to go and to actually put themselves on birth control without the consent of a parent with confidential protection for that child so there are laws for that that's different wow yeah Yeah. that's 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 the thing so i won't say that it's right or wrong unless it's right or wrong for that family i do think that it's important to have a lot of conversation to uh be well informed to think about the short and long-term impact to have some deeper conversations that a lot of times parent don't parents don't feel comfortable having or don't know how to have Um, And it is very difficult, especially coming out of the era when parents just don't talk about sex. Mm -hmm. You just don't have sex and don't bring no babies home because the ultimate outcome is you're going to get put out. And so that's the extent of the talk. And so I think that, again, evolution opportunities are there for more conversations and at least um, be a safe space to have that. And if it's not with the parents, because sometimes that's just not possible the, the way relationships are set up, but with a, with another adult that is reasonable, that can be trusted, that is, um, has the ability to understand and learn and to give sound wisdom to a, a teenager who's contemplating that aspect of life. So, um, and sometimes that, that wise person may need to be in the ear of the parent, mm-hmm. of the mother. So maybe right. that's an aunt, a grandmama, a child. You, I know what you was doing because you had a baby at 16. So don't try that with my grandbaby. Let's right. talk to my grandbaby. Mm-hmm. So this is a really deep conversation. Definitely. I think it could go in many different oh, directions. Is. I just say, uh, families, let's talk to each other. Mm-hmm. And if you don't feel comfortable, but you know something needs to be done, because some some kids are having sex. Yeah. And yeah. so we you can gain weight by getting pregnant too. And so, <laughs> right? so we Damn. don't want to we don't want to trade the witch for the devil, as they say, or the frying pain praying for the skillet. So but if and if you're not able to have those conversations, maybe there's trauma. Some some moms were abused. You have some moms that were sexually abused, and that child is the product of that event. So there's mm-hmm. some trauma that has to be dealt with when it comes to that stage of life that they were 16 when they were raped or molested. And now being at 16, there's something about this trap psychologically that doesn't allow healthy conversations. So, mom, can you get that person to a doctor that you trust? Can you get that person to uh, a health professional that can help have help you have that conversation or in some cases, if it's necessary to have that conversation in your stead? 
So it's a lot. It's a lot. I, I wish I could give you. Oh, no, man. no. You gave me. You yeah. gave. You gave me what you had, and I and I appreciate that answer. I mean, Doctor Barron, you got anything that, I mean, to weigh in on that? Even before you commented, I was gonna say it really depends on the situation. You know, for that family, what's going on? If the teenager is having sex or not, or whatever. Um, I think it's all rooted in education. Um, you know it doesn't have to be the quick fix for, you know, to calm a parent or, you know, and put them at ease that they, their child may not, you know, come home pregnant or whatever. Uh, but I don't think it should necessarily be pushed on a child either. Um, so it's, it really is a case by case basis and what's best for the family, but it has to start like Dr. Um, Jada said is with education on all fronts. You know, a lot of times, it's the parents who are uneducated really as to, you know, what, what this potential medication might be or the effects that it may have on the child. Um, but then really uneducated and having that discussion about sex. Okay. Well, why is it that you, you know, you feel like you need to, or whatever, you know, do you know this can happen or that can happen? There's plenty of, you know, parents who still don't really understand the mechanisms of even how a baby is mm -hmm. made, you know, and so how are they, you know, but they're parents, you know, so right. people just go about this act because it feels good or whatever, you know, but they just don't know the physiology behind it. And so they, how can they then have that conversation with their own children? You know, so um, I definitely agree. It's a case by case basis, um, you know, and, you know, families just have to do what's best for them. Interesting. So the Let's poll, close that poll yeah, out, yeah. closing the poll, guys. So over 100 votes in this thing. Should you put your daughter on both birth control? And 70% of the people say no. Unless she listens to Sexy Red, then you know <laughs> she needs to hey, feel. Cat Harlem jumped in. It's Cat Harlem said, look, if you know your child is sexually active but not responsible enough to protect themselves, yes, put them on birth control. Let's see, I mean, you, you got a lot of different opinions on there. And, and I understand, too, especially, you know, my, you know, upbringing was probably different because I did grew up in what they consider a title one school, which title one school means damn near the whole school is on free lunch. So y'all know what kind of neighborhood and school I went to. And I think all of that has a lot to do with why there was a lot of the young ladies that I grew up with where their mom wanted to put them on birth control. Cause it's just, it's just that kind of environment. You know, I think that also has a lot to do with what I saw and experienced and what maybe those mothers saw and experienced or even fathers in that household that consented that um, and you know, why I, I, I had that, you know, truth growing up and seeing that and having those conversations, but, um, I think that's really good and responsible, um, you know, feedback for everybody to consider about why you would make a decision. And, um, I think just in general, I mean, this whole episode, y'all gave us a whole lot to <laughs> consider family. I saw, I know you did it already. Put a blessed up in this chat. If y'all went ahead and y'all are blessed and thankful yeah. for these conversations. In fact, we brought y'all some vegetables today, and because of this, I learned so much. I think I, I want to do this more often, Ryan. I do, too, and it's just so many other conversations that we got to have that stemming from this one conversation because it's a lot of things we got to dive into. Mm -hmm. I learned a lot. I <laughs> learned so much. And I'm not going to call people fat anymore, okay? <laughs> okay. Absolutely. This from Dr. Jada. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to even do that no more. Absolutely. In fact, let's talk to the people about some things coming up here um, because I'm so excited. Thank you for everybody that stayed here to the end of this show. Um, because we got some announcements for you guys. Um, in fact, I think, Ryan, you already kind of told them about the days that we're taking off for the holidays, right? Yep, so we're good on that. We just got to tell them about the special episode. Go so, guys, what we're going to do next Friday, we're putting out a special episode. Since we're taking off this Sunday and Monday, we're going to do something special for y'all on Friday. Now, we all coming with a Wednesday show, so we're going to be here live and direct Wednesday. I think that's like the 27th. 
of um, yep, December. Sure is. But what we're going to do here on the 28th, y'all kept asking for this, brother. So we got him. R.C. Blakes has came up in this joint and we shot an episode with him this morning and we're doing our very best to get it whipped up, cooked up so we can go ahead and put it out this Friday. When I tell y'all this episode is so powerful, yeah, it's really so good. powerful because this brother is the author of Queenology and it's a lot of people so-and-so kind of, you know, kind of so-and-so kind of sort of producing queens or whatever the case is. <laughs> so we're going to have somebody who's really qualified that has been doing it. Uh, the right way for so long and he came and laid it down in a way that you guys have to watch what this brother said and that's going to be coming out on Friday and we're going to do some special it's going to be an afternoon joint it's yeah, going to be yeah. <laughs> next Friday at 12 p.m we will premiere that so there will be a chat it was not live but it will be a chat so we're very excited to present it was hard to get rc he doesn't do many shows and he the doesn't. ones that he do are, are phenomenal and uh we got a chance to meet him and his wife uh mrs lisa and uh it was an incredible episode i'm, I'm excited about it it was so incredible yeah. and first of all this was an incredible episode i Absolutely. thank you ladies so much for coming up on here in fact i don't know if y'all have any trusted like that's one thing me and ryan said we're gonna do this year too we trying to really build up our team of of experts and professionals mm -hmm. in the area of wellness and health and we brought some up in here. I don't know if these ladies are relevant to you, but if y'all were considering or thinking about making any big jumps, I absolutely want you guys to these they really y'all really in the game. Like they could call up the practices, set up some consultations. Can y'all please official. tell them we where they can call? I, I want y'all to tell them where they need to call up to and who they need to be doing business with. Um, so I'm Dr. Aisha Barron. I'm the owner of Breast Body Beauty Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery. Um, we're in kind of the North Atlanta area by um, Truist Park. Um, but I see, like Dr. Jada, um, patients from all across the country, even sometimes across the pond. Um, and uh, you can um, reach out to us either on our website, breastbodybeauty.com. Um, I have an Instagram page, breast, the letter N, body doc. So that's breast N, body doc. Also our practice page, which is at breastbodybeauty on Instagram, Facebook, all the other social media handles. Yes, and we're gonna put her. Uh, we're gonna put the Instagram for uh, Dr. Barron also in the description. If you're watching the replay, if you're watching it now, it will be in the description. Yep. And go ahead, please let Dr. us know. Jada. They can get in contact with you, Dr. Jada. Yeah. So uh, my practice also I own Real Weight Loss and Wellness. Real is an acronym for Renew, Empower, Achieve, Live. Um, I am based in Atlanta, but I see people all over and it is not uncommon on any week for me to have a fly in, which I appreciate my wow. clients from all over the country. We get amazing results, whether you're in person or virtual. Some clients never step foot and they still are able to get amazing and long lasting results. Mm. We are available. I think the easiest thing to do. Our website is uh, www.startwithreal.com. You can follow me on Instagram, on Facebook at D-R-J-A-D-A-M-D, at Dr. Jada, D-R-J-A-D-A-M-D. Um, my link tree in the bio can point you to the practice. Um, and I'm, I'm there. I'm doing a, a, actually a wellness summit, a virtual wellness summit, February 2nd and 3rd. So I want you to stay tuned for that. Girl, get Boom. ready. Mm -hmm. Summit.com. It's oh annual, 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 annual. Wow. This is the fourth annual. And uh, Dr. Aisha has been so kind to be on the 
virtual stage during Before. the pandemic. Yeah. Pandemic. And I just, if I may, for just a moment, thank you for, I couldn't have been next to a better uh, co. <laughs> That's love. Yeah. yeah. She's so amazing. She's such a conscientious um, surgeon and physician. And a lot of what she said, I can absolutely underscore that um, in this day and age when competition, and I'm, I know you don't compete because there's no competition, but I'm just saying that people that are out that do many things to be able to say, I take a stand for your ultimate health and well-being and that your pay, your check is not enough for me to go against what I know is morally and ethically right for you. That takes a really special um, anointed um, individual. So I, I cannot say that enough. Somebody that's willing to look at you when you're not thinking about your best interest. That's a mm. really, really oh, well, big deal. You. She's amazing. Thank you. Man, I love first that. of all, you're supposed to be talking about you. You're over here talking about I Dr. Know. Okay, well, okay. So, so, first see, of all, but this is what we do. Like, I you love know, that. but this is what we do, you know? Like, so that's why there's this exchange between our practices and things like that. And there's a whole network, you know, yeah. it's not just us. Like, mm -hmm. we yeah, have a whole sure. network network of yeah. sister docs that support each other and refer and you know, because we're all like-minded. We want the best for our patients. Yeah. We want the best for our demographic. That's why people seek us out, you know, yeah. because we're real. We're going to give it to them real. We're going to give them the education. We're going to give them the support, you know. So um, <laughs> thank you so much for that. First and all, likewise, ditto. I'm going to say ditto. <laughs> Yo, our initiative is so funny. But one of our initiatives, Anna, shout out to Anna. Anna said, do y'all take EBT? <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't DM even, me. Don't even, <laughs> right. don't even answer that. But I'm gonna get y'all ladies out of here because I'm I'm very excited and I'm thankful to have y'all. I'm hoping that we can have you back. We looking yeah. to continue to you know keep the the most quality of conversations and talent on the platform. And bring up so a variety. A variety is I'm, what they need. Yeah, I'm so happy y'all here in Atlanta. You know, so y'all are always welcome. You know, to to make Harlem initiated home. You know, for you guys as well. But I know we got to get y'all out of here because actually Dr. Ban, she came up in here with her husband and she got mm -hmm. one of them old school husbands like with that Kango hat, look like he'll put an ass whooping on you. <laughs> right, right. So we, we got to get y'all up out of here and get y'all back home. But I thank y'all so much for coming up in here and having a good time and teaching us as well as the audience. And thank you guys again for tuning into another episode of Hardly Initiated. All right. We are out.